Excellent. And therefore, hello, everybody, and welcome to TAFCast. Welcome back, I should say, after a rather prolonged period of silence from us. But today, TAFCast 12, brought to you by the corny cornucopia of Zuka, myself, Skull, and, of course, James. How are we doing, everybody? I don't know after that introduction, but yeah. Good. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> when you can leave, leave James speechless, you know I've done a good job. I didn't think it was possible. Anyway, since it's been six months, I think we just need to be louder and uh, talk a lot more. Oh, yes, because Tafcast isn't known to go over time, is it? Nah, that's Tafcast, mate. I think we had a skit about failing Landnav and not finding our way to the studio. <laughs> but the cool thing is, on, along the way, we have been working on a few things behind the scenes. Little things, bits and bobs here and there. So what can we talk about to paint a picture of what's been shaping up? I think we should look at what we talked about last time, see what changed since then, and then sort of go into what's happening now. Or, or shall we? Because it's oh, been oh. literally half a year since we did a tough cut. It might be worth just explaining what it actually is. That I is don't mean point. you did tough, because I hope everyone knows oh, what, oh. what that has been. <laughs> Well, Let's I mean, start we, from we the probably, beginning. We probably will have the new candidates or recruits joining us later in the TAFCast. So I think we might reiterate then. I think it's a fair point to do now. So yeah. for everybody who's not in the loop about the TAFCast, it's where we look at what's been happening, what's on the horizon, and just talk about the units, catch up with everybody, and along the way also answer some questions from the chat. So you're very welcome to... Post your questions, hot and burning on your heart and mind, in the chat. We'll pin them, and then we'll go through them as we get a chance to after sort of logical sec sections. And I get progressively more drunk. As is tradition. Yes. Not Culminating in the aftercast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's introduced well and truly. So it is. So let's look at what has happened since the last one in, what was it, March? The 24th of March, I think. And I'm trying to think yeah, what go we on. actually talked about on that one. I'm just Googling it quick. <laughs> yes, go to the archive. <laughs> look at the summary. See, that's I'm sure the there's a transcript somewhere. Well, episode 11 was called the last Where is the Zero? Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think, think that was just after the launch of sop portal wasn't it so we were talking about the sop portal and the sort of starting to delegate a lot of this or crowdsource a lot of this stuff that wasn't accessible before because we were trying to sort of explain that we knew going into the summer that people would have less time so we needed to broaden the number of people that are involved in a lot of areas so we've, we've obviously done a lot more of that over the summer but that was in march if I remember rightly. We were also talking about mission ratings because we had a bit of a, a dark period in March, or <laughs> I guess in the first quarter, which um, ha has bounced back. So that's always good to talk about. James, do you have a concrete number on how many SOP change requests are currently either being worked on or have gone in? Um, about 15 to 20, I would say, pending, something like that. I mean, hmm. I, I have eight myself that... Must be more. 
It could be more. Um, there's about, I, I think there's about 15 submitted pending, but then you could add ATAs on top of that. So pre, pre-edit authorization requests. So uh, well, we might come on to talk about that a bit later, but that is obviously um, one of our priorities at the moment is making some changes in, in that area for how, how quickly we can get those out the door. But to answer Skull's original question, um, so yeah, pr pretty much since March, there's not really been anything major. Um, Except you. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that is a terrible joke. <sighs> the, probably, I, the biggest I, one is probably CMP rollout. It's the cancellation of no show policy. I'm pretty sure that came after the March Tafcast. I think that was in a June syrup, or the very last syrup, I think, major syrup. So we Which could pose I, the question from Tafcast Eleven again: Where's the Sidra? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think what we potentially have done, and we'll probably continue to do, is the Sidra's are, are really useful. And again, this is something. This is the reason why we do Tafcast: try and get some feedback. But I suspect that people found the Sidra's useful because it's a culmination of changes. So you can sort of read uh, a bucket of it and, and understand what's changed in a period. Whereas over the summer, we've not done that and we've you, we've relied increasingly on the change logs to push updates as soon as they're ready and not necessarily recap them so stuff's still been been going out at a relatively good pace but but not being we've not been recapping it in that way which you know there's a question mark over the SOP port, or whether we take it similarly with that to try and speed things up going out. But again, that's probably more of a question for the people listening. Um, but I would, I would say the biggest one was the CM, CMP. So we had a big problem with no shows, which we knew we knew we had to address somehow, and I think we've gone a long way to do that. The data says that it's it's made it's done a good job of essentially preventing the the amount of them. I'm sure it's not on the most popular policy that we have, but. It keeps the machine uh, the, the machine moving forward. It is a bit like fatigue in that sense, isn't it? It might not be very popular, but it does work. And how it works is kind of shown every single time in all that releases. Yeah, and the average fatigue is like eight minutes anyway. So like people, mm. when people look at their fatigue and they go, oh, no, it's so high. Don't forget the fact that everyone else has it as well. But it's certainly Except better than pre in the first thirty days. Say again, Zig. Except recruits in the first thirty days. Well, it depends if they don't get activity fatigue, but if they if they're naughty, then they still get. Yeah, um, yeah. Naughty middle recruits is. Uh, anything else? What do we have on our list here? Well, following on from the quality of life stuff, there's also been sort of behind the scenes with the uh, framework. We did test it with Honey Badger, didn't we? With Red Platoon, Blue Platoon, and I think that worked out brilliantly. For those who Two. weren't on the mission, yes, one on. half of the Arbat or one half of the operation was played as Americans and the other one as the ANA. I say one half, one half, but they played at the same time uh, and actually met each other at the end of the mission we were a bit hesitant to see how it works out and how everything goes because uh it was honestly sort of untested and we tested it live uh 
there, there is still or was still some issues in there, but I think they're figuring that out. And you'll see this Sunday, we're using the new framework there. It also allows us to do some other funky stuff, uh, like moving the CBA settings directly onto the server, things like that. Plus, uh, teams working on it behind the scenes. If I can remember the names, it's uh, Grass for sure, but I don't know who else it is. There is there is some work being done on the mythic legend of a uh, mythic relic of, of UNITAF as well, the logistics center, uh, which allows you to track or allows us to track how long a vehicle's been in service, uh, if it's dead, things like that, or just composing a lock pack uh, at the click of a few buttons in opt without having to do much or no Zeus intervention at all. Uh, which would be a nice boon to have, especially for every Logi chief out there who doesn't have already prepped um, compositions and everything for it. Yeah, shout out to Chris on that front because Chris I think Fendi. if he if he's not speeding it, then he's certainly very involved with it. Yeah, I think he posted a video. There's a video of that somewhere. It's not quite ready yet, but I know I don't know he's been away, but. Uh... There is a working version of it uh, going around. So yeah, it's quite cool. I essentially mean that we'll probably produce crates in the same way that we publish loadouts on the website, which actually, come to think of it, is another one of the relatively big... I mean, for a lot of people listening, they're probably like, yeah, it's not a massive thing, but for any of the people that have been involved in making campaigns, the sort of loadout directories, and now we've got class name searches, equipment lists... Uh, probably not this week, Zuka, but in, in weeks before, has helped help massively in managing that that overhead. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're not going to talk about yesterday night. No, no. Then moving swiftly on, there's a question with Zuka for no, Zuka. No, 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 that one took ages. Oh, okay, fair enough. But <laughs> as we're looking back at the last half year now, how are we looking with? Campaigns, Zuka. New, old, what's coming up? Ooh, good question. Uh, as you can see, this Sunday, we've got a returning campaign in Polaris, and we've already had a deployment yesterday uh, with brand new loadouts, which have done mine, James, and probably everyone involved in the campaign's head in. Uh, Version three of that entire faction. Yeah. Well, actually, four if you count the original. Uh, yeah, Polaris, we've got, well, since six months ago, we've got quite a few new ones. Aisha has been, or has had its finale. Uh, since Majemko is in the chat here, he, I think he promises a special deployment or something like that. So uh, still waiting on that one, Majemko. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Apple Chase has just posted the video that we were talking about for the um, automated uh, logging thing. Yeah, if you want to see how that works, there's a quick video sort of demonstrating its capabilities. Uh, well, since six, six months ago, lots of new campaigns. I don't know if Honey Badger was a thing then yet, but I think I teased it last last half cast. It's been a while. Uh, we've got two new ones from Nico, Jari, and by how much he's involved in it, pretty much M. Baker, which is Libra, uh, a sort of new GM-friendly campaign that allows uh, 
multiple people to come up with concepts for it, pitch them to Nico, and it gets ran. Uh, so there has been some pretty cool missions on there with AC-130s and lots of crazy stuff, lots of new and interesting stuff as well, of course. Uh, Libra's been was... doing quite well uh, ratings-wise as well. Yes. There was only maybe one exception to that, if I remember. I mean, of course, Nico's involved. Yeah, like, uh, I'm, I think about 80% of those missions hitting in that low to high to mid nines. And uh, I only remember one being around, I'm looking at it now, only three of them, low 80s. So, yeah, I've been doing really well. Yeah. And that's for, for people that aren't on a campaign team or, or want to get involved in mission making, essentially. We've also got Faultline, which is on Lithium, playing as uh, US Rangers. Uh, it's seen a few, or actually two Sunday deployments, I'm pretty sure, and some midweek ones. Uh, again, by Jari, uh, Nico, Majemko, and Crossia on the campaign team. Uh, busy nice people. And interesting. Yeah, busy people. Nice and interesting coin campaign, again, on Lithium, one of probably the best maps in Arma 3. Uh, Hetman, Polish campaign, made by uh, Vike, myself, and on the FL side of things, Korean and Adel. We've been spinning that up. We've had two deployments on it so far, currently planning the third. Uh, had a rough start with a few server and, and mod-related issues, but are now getting on track, and it is shaping up to be a good one at least from my side. Uh, what else is there? There's a few in the pipeline, currently sort of in development. Uh, another interesting one will be a, uh, whatchamacallit, like a sort of fictional faction one, which allows us to be a bit more creative of what weapons we use, what assets we use, and I guess what the missions will be by sort of... No, it's not set in space, is it? No, it's not set in space. It's not. thanks for clearing that. It's, no, it's set in a. <laughs> no, I just thought I'd check. Before it gets I mean, too far. Now that you've teased it like this, can you tell us some more about it? Um, I could. But are you gonna? <laughs> uh, from... It doesn't sound like he wants to. <laughs> I don't think so. I put him on the spot. Shouldn't do that while being recorded in front of 30 no, no, people. No, 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 no. From what we, what we have so far, uh, it's using a, an interesting mix of sort of Eastern Bloc uh, equipment mixed in with some German stuff. It's using a VHS as its sort of main rifle for anyone who, who's too old to not, or to know what a VS... <laughs> no, I'm not going to get into that. It's a creation gun bullpup. It looks really Space Force-y. But it isn't in space, guys. It isn't in space. We're still on the Earth. Uh, we're going to play in Eastern Europe somewhere, of course. All the names and factions and countries and everything will be fictionalized. F fictionalized? Is that a word? Fiction is that? Fiction, fictionalized. It's going to be now. You coined it. Ah, thank you. So expect some interesting stuff there. Uh, we'll post it when we have it, but it's joint effort by... Kerry Baker, Omni, myself, and we're still looking for a field leader, so we'll get back to the NCOs and SNCOs on that one. It's not ugly, Clark. It looks it looks Halo rifle as hell, okay? <laughs> so that's that. 
Um, anything else I can think about? Not directly, actually. For the people that want to get involved, there's obviously Lebra, but are there, there's, are there any campaigns that have got spots on them at the moment? Um, to make missions on or be I'm involved in building? Think of the people that want to get involved. Ah, well, yeah, Honey Badger's got uh, or is open to new GMs, as is. Let me see. Well, this new new campaign will be. But the others, I mean, if you ask them and, and you have a sort of idea for a mission, it's going to be hard for them to decline, especially if they like it. Yeah. Don't force them into it, but kind of do. And yeah, I mean, just use J, J5, J6 channels on, on Discord. Uh, no, J4, J5 channels on Discord. Or the campaign center's got all the contact names on it for campaign teams. Shout out on this point as well on the uh, for the J4 matchmaker. If you don't know about it, then we've got a matchmaking thread, and you can find it in J4. Sorry, is it J4? J3, isn't J it? J3, yeah. J3 matchmaking. I know my channels. But over there, you can submit a request to find Fiddly, the Game Master, for an idea you've got, and we've got CC lists for them. All right, shall we move on after looking back a bit and forward now? Uh, one last thing to talk about that's been happening recently were a few promotions. And special shout out here to the latest batch of corporals. I'm sure that's more proper for James to go over because there were quite a few. Well, I mean, if you go, I don't even know. If you go over the last six months, we've had quite a few movements in the York City. I mean, part of it's natural with um, growing it. I think, I think actually we've brought, we did have a policy of one corporal per section. I think we've doubled that now. Um, and I think even since the last Tafcast, I think it was we dissolved four troops, didn't we? And uh, the troops are slightly bigger now. So, um, yeah, we've got a lot of new members of the org CC. We've still got a few additions that we're going to do, but uh, they're doing some great work. And there's a few more movements this month or later this month. Uh, we should have a... How do I word it? Not a new XO, but um, we'll have some movements at, at my level. And then obviously that will cause a bit of a ripple as we start to replace people um, that move up. So um, that's a process that's ongoing at the moment. And we have a couple of corporals on callback as well. So we're just uh, continuing our normal business in the auxiliary, I suppose, is the easiest way of putting it. Somebody going to keep you company in HQ? Very uh. lonely at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I won't lie. Nobody to delegate it back to. <laughs> but yeah, so that's only um, I'll only be out in the cold for another ten days, probably. So we'll have news on that when it comes. We'll get there. Happy days. Do we have any right. questions to, to quickly? You're keeping track of the questions. Well, I'm not. Am I? I mean, there's one very important one that was the first question of the evening. How do you sound so hot, Zuko? Uh, alcohol. There you go. There's your answer. Don't drink, kids. First question uh, answered. <laughs> um, William posed something in meme format that we're going to talk about <laughs> later as well. And Rufi asked something as well that we're going to talk about later. So stay tuned for both of those. Any more questions that we missed? 
was that the great question or uh philly on giant spain there is a giant spain coming up on the sunby <laughs> yes made by kevin and i think white wolf grabbed the field leader for it i'm gonna be fighting in some trenches i mean that's not the one i'm aware of <laughs> for uh, sure. well, he's, he's told me that's why i'm uh Oh, Hang on, Zuka. I, trenches? Are we using the terrain deformation thing or the trench mod, or is it uh, just? I don't, I don't want to say anything. Oh, we might, we might not. Well, as, as the campaign manager for Giants, I can't wait to. Uh, there's a tease, everybody. <laughs> we might or might not. Around the nineteenth of October, there's uh, going to be a big Giants bin. It, yeah, it sounds like there's another one <laughs> coming, coming yeah. somewhere. And and you'll definitely see me as all for RP. I, I love those roles. Yeah. I'm not keeping the info to myself, Matt. He just ignores me. Me and Scott will answer any question posed, but Zuka, I can't speak on behalf of him. But Wait, No, I'm just here. I mean, Zuka so far hasn't been doing a good job answering questions, has he? <laughs> Alcohol. Should we, should we get back on script? <laughs> we should probably get back on script, yes. Script? <laughs> Um, so looking at what is actually in our focus now, I believe, is up next. And something that James also gave a shout out to last Sunday, was it? Uh, for Baker in particular, for his medal for good AARs. And dare I say, excellent AARs. That should be a model for how to write an AAR. So how are we looking on that? Do we want to give guidance or even a SOP on how to write an AAR to get the standards up a little bit? Well, I think it's, the reality is actually, the, so, so the people that read AARs generally are going to be your direct COC and, and field leaders and IOs. And um, the vast majority of people are pretty good at doing ARs. We, I mean, all of us three would have read loads over the, over the time and some of them can be novels in themselves but but you know really useful um what's not helpful is when people don't don't put actionable information so i think we probably will go move to to make some guidance i mean um you mentioned m baker which is um and and he's heavily involved in j6 and, and training and so feedback in trainings can be just as useful as in operations and mohawk as well got that that medal before um for, for very similar things really just being incredibly thorough um with the feedback and it, it doesn't have to be necessarily the length of the AR, but um i think what we we'll want to try and avoid is is when people rate stuff um for example like i don't know you rate the mission low but you rate leadership high is the box is not there to to say the mission was bad and the leadership was good the box is there to put something actionable in that box that we can use to 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 relate you know to to what to your ratings essentially because what we're looking for is a lot of the time correlations across the same deployment but also correlations across multiple deployments either personally against your dossier or across a campaign and the other thing to bear in mind is that um ARs are, are going to be reviewed by obviously the IO and the FL from the deployment but um quite often if an AR is flagged and it comes to me I I wasn't on the mission so I need something contextual to understand what you've written so yeah we probably will move to make make some guidance and I think 
even if you're not involved in any type of contribution method, one thing that we all do equally is submit ARs, and it's one of the single most important things that people should be able to do well, I think. And I think if you've got one obligation as a member, it's to give good feedback. Not good, as in say that it was good. I mean, give give useful actionable. feedback. Yeah. yeah, actionable feedback um, consistently. And um, we'll, we'll make a few changes to help that. You'll, people will know from, from previous communications that we've done that we'll eventually be making some changes so that we'll, we'll basically be releasing a public version of of our summary of all after action reports for deployments that that will come eventually and we're probably also going to move the comment boxes to the specific rating so it's easier for for people to put comments specific to a certain rating rather than just one big box and uh, there'll be a few other things that will change on that front we're also going to remove the requirement to fill an after action report um before you can slot again it will, it will be based on a 48-hour to 72-hour timer rather than immediately because otherwise, as a few people have pointed out, with the amount of deployments that we do now, if you've got an that release an hour after a deployment ends and you've kind of got to rush your AR, which doesn't help us with the, the things I've just talked about. Saying that, though, I think we've been doing a good job and at least in the last, I want to say, half, three quarters of a year of not releasing something right after a deployment or during a deployment, it's always going to be or it also has been before one, even if it's a bit tight. So I think that is good enough. Well, not good enough, but decent encouragement now to maybe sleep on your AAR because you, ha you don't have to get it out right after the mission. You can do it in the morning with your morning coffee after you slept on it and have a bit more useful, actionable feedback to give after you've digested it a bit. Yeah, I have asked J6 to look at producing a constructive criticism slash feedback guidance to go somewhere so uh if you're interested in helping with that then speak to or put a message in j6 i think we had a discussion sort of flare up a few days ago in channel chat which also addressed what we just talked about and again the main point to remember the main point to take away is that you can tell us literally anything in your aars about the mission because if we know what went wrong or if, if you give us your uh, perspective we can also improve upon that if you have suggestions to how, on how to improve it that also helps massively because even i as a gm in a big deployment i can't see everything that's going on at the same time or something that makes the mission bad for you because that's also something that's very uh subjective that's a word mm. but I'd put an asterisk on your, you can put anything in an AR. Cause, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that's my job. But um, I mean, yeah, we've also moved to do stuff in the last six months. Like um, you could never used to view all your previous AARs, but now if you go to your account settings, you can look back over all the AARs you've ever um, written. And, um, you know, that's useful because quite often if you might have an AAR flagged, for example, um, but by one of the fillies for, for follow-up and we flag things for various different reasons like maybe we're concerned about what, what's written in it or maybe it mentions an incident or so the if you ever get approached by your org coc then that's usually usually why but um yeah I, th I think it's so important i mean we make basically all of our decisions or evidence for our decisions are based on ars we encourage that um 
obviously, yeah, but don't try not to mention people's names in AR. That's also something that's not encouraged. And in essence, Unitav is, well, perhaps not in essence, but in a way, Unitav is crowdsourced and just like the SOP portal now allows, allows everybody, question mark, everybody, to submit requests to change an a, uh, a SOP by submitting a decent AAR. AAR. <laughs> yes, by, yeah. by submitting a decent, useful AAR, yeah. you can crowdsource improvements on missions going forward. Yeah, I mean, just the, the other thing is the vast majority of people are quite good at it, but also remember that there's humans on the other end of that. Somebody that's spent 10 hours crafting the mission that you went to, and even if it in execution was, in your opinion, completely terrible, remember that there is a human on the other end of it, and you know, AARs can be quite a savage thing to read sometimes especially if the op didn't quite go to plan. So that's why we, we would always encourage people to make it useful information. And, and you know, like I say, I think we'll we'll start to look at some of the really exceptional people that are good at, good at this or who we feel can communicate good and bad things really effectively and try and um, educate that out to everyone else. Well, there's a pertinent question straight away from Shambhala. Can we get an edit AAR button for, let's say, 24 to 48 hours? Uh, because he likes to get them out while they're fresh, but sometimes he forgets to mention something again after sleeping on it, perhaps. Um, that would be something to put in, in for slash suggest. Uh, once, once we've made the change so that you don't need to submit it immediately and that you won't uh, be prevented from slotting until you know 24 48 hours after or whatever it may be that will probably help a little bit but the next step there would just be to allow you to start writing it and then unless you've clicked you know click the submit button it just um it will save what you've written so far so if you can sort of contextualize that into a, a suggestion when that gets rolled out i would imagine that's exactly how it would look so you could essentially write a few notes at the back of the the op uh close the page and then come back the next day before you've submitted it um, and um, and add to it before you submit it. But but once you've submitted it, no, because um, there's got to be a cutoff point, basically. Yeah, but the text field remembering what you put in sort of would solve that. that anyway. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but do put it in suggestions because uh, and there's a record. Oh, we could go really fancy with the editor, couldn't we? With a what you see is what you get, editor with. BB codes and styling. Let's not know. I don't know why I'm saying this because it's only going to encourage more of it. But there, there were <laughs> people that worked out how the formatting worked, and you would, when you were scrolling through, you'd see a, a textual Blomkohl? representation of a potato or something like that. No Blomkohl. Oh, I remember Blomkohl. But that, that is actively <laughs> uh, going to get you into trouble. I would have thought. So don't do it. <laughs> Please don't. Here's your PSA. Oh, the... <laughs> ASCII pictures they put in sometimes. Uh, yeah, Grez remembers. There we have it. From William, do emoji show in ARs? No. No. I think okay, he knew the answer on... to that hmm? when he asked Yes, it. probably. But I have to humor William. Right, shall we move on from ARs then? Because questions about them have slowed down a bit. Actually, I did sort of have another point on ARs, if you don't mind. Yeah, go on. I like going off script. Um, oh, really? I, th I think for people that don't haven't made missions yet, this is probably a difficult one to, to understand, but I, I think a lot of people that are listening, because you know, we have quite a large 
mission maker base. I always find it quite odd that um, you know we, some people will turn up to twenty missions and they get the option to rate us, but we don't get the option to rate them. And so uh, no, nothing particularly in the works at the moment, but as part of the sort of AAR review process and the master after action reports thing, we may well implement a system of um, the FL and the IO during the, the master after action review um, rating the actual reports that come in. So it may be that you end up with not a public, but something that you'll be able to see on your dossier, um, some sort of value that will tell you overall how useful your ARs have been to the people that are um, producing the experiences that you're going to. So we may may well turn it around and, and that's i guess more of a statistical representation of those medals that i gave out to to mohawk and to uh baker i can't wait to whip out my red pen and just mark it like a teacher i'm yeah. sure baker will love Grade it your aars but also <laughs> yes. because i just love collecting information on people so it just adds another <laughs> thing to the, to the we all know to that you'd have just a front for you to have a spreadsheet in the back end exactly the uni merge is just a front to find out what size you wear and what's your favorite color <laughs> oh, no. first i mean now that you've brought up unimerge shall we go into unimerge <laughs> i was gonna say he's is that your segue way. is that your segue this script is just all over the place uh, okay go on then we've had a few teasers by james in what was a j2 about what might be coming up what can you share james uh, all I can really share is that I think the uh, the company that we're working with are getting really annoyed with uh, with me. Uh, we're on like version fifty one, I think, of some stuff. Um, but I would have thought within by the end of this month we should probably be live, or we'll be global shipping, global global everything. Uh, they're not the cheapest, but because I'd rather have something that's going to last. But uh, but yeah, we'll publish everything once we've got it pretty much is uh, is what i can say excellent but i think that answers the very long standing questions about unimerch when we can at least say soon tm soon tm yeah. i think it is more of just we were always going to do it but um but it's just finding like something that's going to do it the way we want to do it we don't just want to slap a logo on a t-shirt be done with it to i mean uh, so you'll be able to get that that hoodie at the top um, and the, this um, T-shirt, which you can personalise, and there are the Unitaf uh, black, silver, and gold. There's also you can get a life-size Unitaf flag if you wish. Uh, maybe we'll have a competition about where you can fly that flag and uh, photo competition or something. We'll see. <laughs> Should we put that up and where not to put it up? Say say that again. Should we bring out a SOP on where not to fly the UNITAF flag, please? Well, I mean, we'll, we may have to do that, but usually, <laughs> usually policy is born out of somebody doing something that you never expected. Is there going to be a SOP on how to fold the flag and how to present it on a mast? <laughs> yeah. I mean, unlike the US flag or, or sorry, the UK flag, it's pretty obvious which way up the UNITAF flag goes, hopefully. Uh, uh, question from Matt. 8.5, you're hanging up the wrong way. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a yeah. question from Matt for you, Matt for you James. Uh, yeah. Personalization on the hoodie or just the T-shirt or the jersey? I think the jersey is just is the only one that's got personalization that I'm aware of. Where's hmm. the uni candle? Uh, there will also be, so they're sort of the premium ones, but there will also be 
to other hoodie designs that are slightly cheaper but less sort of bespoke than that one and there'll be two t-shirt designs that are uh, a bit more basic as well and again slightly cheaper slightly when when i get to version 56 with the designers <laughs> oh yeah i can't wait till someone <laughs> mistakes our flag for the is flag we don't well, go I mean, hopefully not they are visually very different is there a case to be made about adding the the accent color we've got to our to our banner? I'm colorblind, so I'm not going to try to name the color we've got as an accent color, but you know the color I mean, I'm sure. What gray? The brown one. What was the question, say? No, should we add the accent color to our banner to our flag so that it doesn't? Look like ISIS. I don't, I don't know. I mean, visually, we've always gone with black and white, um, so probably not. But fair enough. I mean, if anyone gets arrested from buying the Utah flag, then we may have to review that policy. But for now, we'll, <laughs> we will stick with it. But they can say that shit when they get there. I mean, and, we definitely and... give that person a medal if if you know they got into legal trouble. <laughs> and they'll get a no show. Sober. Is that the literal prisoner of war medal? Do we have to give him a star for it? <laughs> yeah, we'd have to create a new one. No. Or, Civil or disobedience. Like medal of merit or something. No, Kerry, oh, you have fun not segue that was. Thank you. What a fun segue. It was Zuka, so of course it was good. It was all in the script. Don't tell them. Oh, where are we? We're jumping all around on this one. No, we're not. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not even saying anything. I'm just... I'm just I mean, you've been quoted, James, now to yeah. say you're going off script. You like going off script. Well, it's on you. If, if it's me going off script. But... I mean, look, we've got Zuka, who loves chatting. We've got me, who loves Overtime FTX, and we've got James on his tough cars. We have no chance of being on time with this. But let's try anyway and move on. Sorry, I'm, I'm looking at the chat right now. Uh, this is already so much like Aftercast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell we've not done it in six months. Just... Yes. Yeah, yeah. But we're, we're, current, we're on the current focus, yeah. Yeah, we are. Um, on the horizon. Have you got any questions that you said you were... Oh, a question we want to bring up. Let's have a quick scroll. I saw a few of them. Uh, oh... Good one. Plans for a forger or Arma 4? Well, I think we, so we've started building, or we did start building when the forger announcement came out. There's going to need to be some sort of adjustments to our systems and things like that. So we've already built, for example, you would have noticed months ago that the Arma 3 logo, which never appeared on the opposite, never appeared. Um, so we started to build stuff in there because there's going to be a point in time where we go from this platform to another platform, but it's not going to be immediate. So we'll be running deployments on Armor 3 and then whatever the other title is. So the question is whether that's actually going to be Reforger or whether that's going to be something completely different, i.e. Armor 4. Um, at the moment, when we haven't got any plans to do anything on Reforger. I know there's a big update coming out in quarter four, so that might change. But as soon as anyone feels or somebody's got an idea or we've got mission makers that have something prepared and we feel like we've got something to go with then we'll probably start playing with it it's important that we do get involved because we know that that's 
uh, once it matures, that's what our, our new platform is going to look like. And we've got quite a bit of work that we'll need to do to integrate our systems onto it. So um, there's nothing immediately being planned. There's nothing currently being worked on, but we, we've done a lot of work on our databases and also started to look at infusion and things like that. So, you know, we are preparing, but not, not immediately. I mean, anyone that I speak to that's mildly knowledgeable will tell you we're probably at least 12 or 18 months away from any type of full move from, from one platform to another. So we'll dabble certainly. And, uh, if you're interested in that, start getting involved because there's plenty of people that will help you. And, uh, it's, it's obviously something important that we'll need to do, but, but we've still got time to, to work on it. Yeah, I've, I've dabbled a bit in the uh, in the Infusion engine itself, and the amount of customization and the amount of changes it lets you do makes the little ter uh, terrain deformation we have now look minuscule, because you can change the entire map to your liking. So you'll probably never have the same exact map two times for the same campaign. It's already There's already more maps out now than there ever was. Yeah. For and, and I think part, part of it is getting the same level of organization that we have now uh, set up to work in, in, in a future platform. But the other half is all the things that we can't do now that we might be able to do in the future. And our mission has always been armor three, you know, we, we would never have had to put a cap on the total force if, if it wasn't for the player cap that we have. I'm not sure what the Reforger player cap is, but there is some hope there that, that there's going to be a much larger player cap eventually um, with Infusion. So there's, you know, there's a lot of other exciting things that we probably don't even or haven't even thought about yet that will be possible. And part of that will be probably a much larger um, deployment sizes. But um, that's also why a lot of the groundwork that we do on a day-to-day -day basis, so SOP portal and all these sort of administrative things that for a lot of people are quite boring, it's so important because we have to be ready for that. And um, a lot of the other stuff that we've talked about in previous task casts and on the roadmap um, also play into that. Oh man, if imagine if we were able to actually simulate the entirety of the AO that we had last, uh, what was it, Everglade? That big open push... Uh, over on on foot over this open field, with the two accompanying platoons north and south. Oh, that would have been amazing. Not just not just platoons, but companies. Oh yeah, companies. Yeah, oh, I imagine that. Let's have a full battalion armor. I would love it. There's a question from Kerry that's quite interesting. We we did actually touch on this. I think pre-Reforger announcement, we did a TAFCast that was talking about the future and things like that. And I sort of joked that when we started Unitaf, I honestly believed that it would be a maximum of 12 months before Arm 4 came out, but uh, look how that went. Um, I'd, I'd, we, we will obviously at some point drop support for Arm 3, but but for those listening, I mean, it's going to be a long, long, long overlap. And I experienced from a community perspective the move from Arm 2 to Arm 3, and it decimates... Uh, a lot of communities just because if you have if you've got a fixed orbat you know everyone has to move at the same time or your orbat's fucked um it's why we built unitaf the way we built it so I, i'm not at all concerned about about the transfer period because of the way that we operate i think that might have to become the new norm for a lot of other groups as well because you can't rally like 60 70 people two times a week on fixed dates 
Yeah, but don't tell them we have to be unique and draw in the people. <laughs> well, I mean, we're four years deep into development. We've, yeah. we've, we've, got, <laughs> we've got quite a lot. And I, I believe massively in the way that we do things. There's always the um, people that say, oh, surely if you're in the same team with the same people, you've got that cohesion. And, you know, that's absolutely true. But this is not a real military. And uh, it's amazing how well we can operate, actually, when the people around you are different every time. And we could be better still. Which I think nicely leads into something else. <laughs> that wasn't as good a segue as the other one. <laughs> some, some hypothetical changes we have in mind. Ah, uh, yes. Did you want to segue from how we can improve and always get better? And yeah. to ensure it with the hypothetical, go on then. Go you're on a lot, then. You're a lot better at segue, Skull, to be honest. I think <laughs> just need to... Get some rust off Zika's shoulders this this week. Yeah, it's been a while. I think so. It's been a while. And he's not been cracking as many jokes as he usually does. I, I try. Usually... Well, I do. Yeah. I do. Well, you I mean, he's only made he... one at the start, but yeah, he's only half a cup in. Give him some time. Well, yeah. So at the start of this year, and in fact, I think it was in January, so not the last Tafcast, but the Tafcast because it's actually the third Tafcast of this year. So we we haven't done anywhere near that many. Um, I I said that the focus for this year would be quality. Um, and that's still the case. That's obviously why we've been doing a lot of quality of life stuff. But that wasn't really what I meant when I said quality, because obviously back in January, we were talking about RCS, which I see somebody was just asking about. Um, and that's what I mean by the definition of quality. So what we're our aim for this year, and we've still got a little bit of time to go. So um, hopefully we can achieve it is we need to be able to identify where, when quality is not where we want it to be and then we need to be able to act on it and there's two main areas for that one we've already talked about which is after action reports which is why you see the master after action report system so high up on that roadmap and the other one is is all to do with j6 and uh, this year any ftx you've ever been to has a lesson plan literally written by people that educate professionally for a living um and school connector. Thank you for the shout out. Well, I say they're not all written by it, but the 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 format and the the way that we've designed that process has come from that sort of real world experience. And you know, the people that work in J6 are very passionate about that. And so, the next step there, which I've talked about before, so I won't come too much time on, is is that when you rate an FTX, that we're tying that back to the lesson plan, and we're essentially developing the lesson plan um, a bit like the way that we develop campaigns. So in campaigns, when we do a deployment and the ARs indicate that there's something that's wrong at a campaign level. Uh, for example, with uh, that short-lived campaign that we did versus China, I can't remember the name of it, let's not talk about it. Um, but we pick up trends within campaigns and then we can correct them and that's how campaigns can improve. And so we can do that same thing on a lesson plan basis and that that's going to ride quality of, of education up. And then the other half of it is is talking about I mean, the way that we operate is we, most people will know, we praise in public, correct in private. So when things go wrong or if there's an issue, we don't talk about it publicly. We always deal with those behind closed doors. But if you think back to some incidents that you may recall, like in Honey Badger and, and in a few other operations, we've had some pretty well publicized blue on blue incidents recently. And um, we have a lot of discussions about those. And the way that we tend to process those is, you know, we'll investigate those quite thoroughly and then we'll ask the question, you know, 
was is there a procedure in place that we educate that would have prevented that and if so was it followed and in some cases there isn't a procedure therefore it can't be followed but but also in other cases sometimes the procedure exists and it's not been exposed to so this is what i mean by quality is we have to find ways to identify those situations and prevent them in the future and they're just very obvious examples of those things but on every single deployment much more minor versions of the same incident take place and what we're trying to do is structure a system that isn't going to create a massive administrative burden but will improve quality day to day by addressing some of those things Yes. Zuka, go ahead. I am looking at the chat. You're, okay. <clears throat> ah. Did you? Didn't we already have questions regarding RCS? I think that was Williams' meme, was it? It was. Right. Have they been pinned? Uh, yeah, his his picture. So oh, I see. With yeah. the yeah, with the developments on. On, on the sub side behind the scenes that's going to be the foundation for what for what we're going to build on with the rcs going forward it has to be fixed and and steady before we get into the rcs but how far out is rcs <laughs> <laughs> when we debriefed uh the last afcast we we said we're never going to put dates on anything yeah <laughs> um well, yeah, TAC, uh, we were talking about RCS in, in January of last year, and I think the, the main message, and we talked about it in the March TAFCast, is that um, most of our big changes happen December, January, over the Christmas period, because that's just when the most resource is available. So obviously when we talked about it in January, that was considering the fact that we, I guess, had at that point the second wave of Omicron and uh, plenty of time on our hands. But there's also other things in there, which is we've, the RCS plan that's been presented and that we've communicated outwardly has changed slightly and we probably won't talk about the details of that. But what, what I would say is that in the RCS plan, and, and for those that don't know, RCS is essentially getting role access based on competency rather than based on tier, so experience. Sorry, uh, James, before you go too much into detail, for some people that aren't here quite as long, what even is RCS? I thought that's just what I was saying, wasn't it? Then I might not have been listening to you. Well, it stands for role certification system. So basically, rather than uh, having the, the tier, you you tick a bunch of boxes and you can sort of fast track it. That was basically the idea behind RCS. Um, but but RCS was meant to be a secondary system to the tier system. So at the moment, what we're working on and and we're we're redressing some more long standing issues with the tier system before we maybe look, we look at RCS. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the honey badger incidents, and, and I'm not gonna talk about specific people or specific incidents too much, because ultimately accidents happen, mistakes are made, you know, that, that we don't ever dwell on, on individual things. We just wanna learn from them. Um, you know, would RCS have prevented that incident? No, it wouldn't, because it's a bolt on to the tier system. It was never designed to fully replace it. So actually the question that we uh sorry i just need to get the cat off the keyboard um the the question that we sort of raised to um the tier system is what would we have to change on the tier system to um have prevented those incidents 
And that's essentially the the discussions that we've been having over the summer um, as a prerequisite to it, basically. <laughs> They're all riffing on your cat writing stuff. It's fine. She she does she's not as expressive vocally as Scuddy, so she has to type. But she does like to throw grenades and smokes. Occasionally. Yeah. Roofs, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that well and truly covers our CS and what's on the horizon for procedural correction, isn't it? Doesn't it? Uh well procedural correction is sort of the next step. So basically to give people just a very broad idea of what what it is that we are looking at with tiers is we want before we bring rcs in as another system that's not more complicated but it's a different one you know everyone understands how tiers work it's universally understood so we're looking at making a few tweaks there and one of those would be for example in an incident like that if you've got somebody that uh, if you've got an incident that takes place in a deployment and it could have been prevented by properly following SOP and the tiers of that person are based off of, let's just say, practices conducted two years ago with a full SOP rewrite six months ago, that that is not working as intended. So that would be a, an ex- example of um, an issue that we'll, we're looking to address through various different means. And I think that also, again, underlines how different UNICEF can be from other units in that we do actually think and plan that long term, where it is entirely feasible to have SOP written two, three, four years ago at some point, that somebody has learned back then that we need to account for. Yeah. And um, so there's, ve- there's loads of stuff that we're discussing at that level. Like I said, I'm not going to necessarily give specific uh dates or or things on 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 that but the wider question i guess that we ask ourselves and that would help everyone else understand what level we're thinking on is what changes could we make to tears to make them more accurate of a, a person's current level of experience in an area and also to give us the option of redressing that when somebody demonstrates a less than desirable level of experience but the system says, i.e. making the system more accurately reflect the, the current level of experience, essentially. So that that you mentioned uh, PCFs before, which a lot of people won't know what they are unless they've found by them, but procedural correction flags. So that's like a, a, a quite an archaic system in UNITAF where if you should know a certain SOP but then don't follow it, that you can get flagged for it, essentially, to highlight to you and to the COC that there's something that you need to improve. But, um, you know, what a lot of the sort of professional educators that, that work at J6 are saying is that it, as a system, it's immediately punitive. So if you're perhaps struggling with a SOP, to, to be given a punitive uh, flag immediately for, for um, not following it is perhaps not the most encouraging first step. So with PCFs, we're, we're rolling out an update to that essentially that has different levels of, of flag so we can put advisory uh, markers on people's dossiers so that you, you know that they're aware of things that they need to improve on but it has no punitive effect so uh, one of the most common questions i get you know if i'm a squad leader from a fire team is oh what, how did you think i did you know 
what do you think I could work on? And a bit like when we talked about AARs, um, you don't know straight away. You know, you need to think about it. Sometimes you need to sleep on it. And so that's sort of the same in that. So how I'd imagine I would do that is I would say to them, you know, I'll have a think about it. And then I'll, if I think there's anything you need to work on, I'll, I'll mark some advisories on your dossier. And then, you know, they can go and look at it and see what it, what specific, um, you know, SOPs they need to work on. But we need the ability to escalate that as well in, in instances where, again, to use the example of friendly fire, if you've, if you've got people that have a demonstrated tier in an area but are consistently not able to perform at the required level, right? whatever that may be then we need to have a way of preventing that from continuing you know so having a higher level of a tier would also innately come with a higher understanding of the entire combat area whereas now it i think someone mentioned that you can only do tier one fdx's and still get tier five and whatever um I, that's a slightly different topic um, yeah we could, we could jump around. this is a obviously a really really broad topic we could jump around a fair bit but on that i would say one of the uh, this is not being worked on at the moment but one of the things that j6 are asking for when the so so very soon the lp system which we're using will be visible so when you go to an ftx not only will you see the sop but you'll see the actual lesson plan that's going to be conducted one of the things that they're asking for is an ability to um, almost tree them out in a logical progressional order. But I'm sure there's loads of problems with that that people can think of. So we don't we don't talk about that specifically. That's something for the future. But uh, that would, for example, help with that that concern. Question we've got in the chat. Mm. If now's the time, I'll I'll, I'll go ahead and ask that. Uh, was how about only doing tier one FTXs and getting accesses to or access to higher tier roles with that? That um, could in effect be addressed by the sort of branching FTX thing where yeah. you get prerequisite stuff that you like if you, if you start a series of FTX, you don't want to miss out on the two others that are going to be following it. So that's very actively encouraging you to stick with it and learn new things in that series of tier one to tier three, for example. I mean, the worst thing overall is if you attend an FTX only to, to be there and you're not expecting to learn anything new or if we can't even really teach you anything new in that specific mm. FTX. That's an example we... of that, by the way. What oh, would be an example of the, a situation relating to that question? The well, initial question? I think something pertinent would be would would be medical FTXs, where you could do the tier one CLS one, where you learn nothing but CLS, but then eventually you get a tier four CMT MERD, and you wouldn't have a first clue about how to lead uh, a, a medical emergency, a CCP, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I can think of a two or three things in my head that would solve that. Um, so yeah, I think it's probably something logically we would come on to. So it. It's definitely not a no, we're never going to do that. But it's also not saying that it's got an immediate solution planned to be implemented, but I would see that as potentially a lo logical follow-on discussion from some of the further implementation that we'll do. But if you think about it logically, um, 
our system is designed to fill every slot with the most experienced person so it is designed to allow someone that perhaps hasn't done that specific ftx to access that slot but there's also that system i just talked about about redressing the balance if somebody's not you know at the very least if that's you you should be going and reading that sop for that role and and being proactive in it and if you don't do that that's what the pcf system is there for and quite often what happens is you see people ask uh, for one-on-one -on -one time don't you if they're if they're in that position um if it's an ftx that hasn't swung around for a while and they've slotted for it they'll they'll ask someone if they can help them just get some one-on-one -on -one. yes because it is a thing i think shambhala also is alluding to it yeah you you can be the most experienced person in something just the next most qualified just by numbers of hours or tiers but if you haven't done or read the SOP, then you haven't got the skills you need to perform in that role, experience in numbers or not. And the cool thing about our SOP is you can read it up. And nominally, we only teach in our FTXs what is also written down in SOP. So everything you learn, could learn in an FTX, even if you don't get hours for it, you could at least read up. And then next most qualified slot to, to up, that sort of thing. Yeah, so in general, there's a three-headed approach there. There's the lesson plans, which are already implemented, albeit the people that don't uh, instruct probably haven't seen the actual lesson plans, but that's something that will change at some point. Um, then you have the actual tiers themselves and, and any changes we might make to those. And then you've got procedural correction, which is how do we identify when people aren't quite up to scratch and make them aware of it so that they can make changes and that's something that we will publish more information on and people should probably expect you know this winter to see some changes to the way that tiers work and procedural correction flags which you know is a pretty big change because it's one of the foundational systems of of what we do which is why you know we want to be sure that we're doing the right thing before we enact it essentially i believe we talked about this uh shabala again uh let's say your your tears last year but if you have to before you have to redo the redo the ftx we did touch on it in terms of decaying tears didn't we yeah i think we've talked about it in previous Tafkas and avid readers of general chat will know I uh, popped a message in there a couple of weeks back <laughs> on a similar uh, similar topic but definitely yeah, not I mean, to test the waters definitely <laughs> not definitely not to test the waters no um but yeah when you think about it logically the the tier system has been it, it was implemented in in I think year one or the end of year one into year two so it's been running for I would say two and a half well, actually, no, it, because it's backdated. So the data that calculates tiers is actually going to be as long as the unit. So getting on three and a quarter, three and three quarters to four years. So there's a point where the the data that calculates your tier becomes irrelevant. Now there are some people that come from the logic of, well, you know, I know what I'm doing now, and therefore practices are no longer applicable to me. I don't sit in that camp, and that that's not particularly my ethos. And uh, if you believe you know it all then i think your role is to help other people get to your level 
and that's where the practices come in so yeah part of what we are looking at is you know at what point do we draw the line and say this this ftx that you did is no longer relevant for example it is a separate argument to missions because missions are arguably maybe different but certainly the content that we teach changes over time and, and also people people's uh memory of it changes over time but also that goes to address some of the wider problems of the tier system which is you know pe people that have been here if you've got an active time in unit lower than 18 months for example you're trying to get into rotary air crew you're competing with people that have got 18 19 even up to 36 months atiu no mad you're going to struggle aren't you so um a system like that for example without like i say without confirming or denying anything but a system of tier decay would would redress and rebalance that system externally of any change from rcs or something like that yeah at the end of the day it's kind of like holding a or hosting a TAF cast after six months you kind of get rusty in it yeah i mean i'd say that for myself actually because for probably the first i'd say 18 months of unitaf i filled led without exception every single mission as the highest field leader whether that was squad platoon or company and uh arguably probably less rusty than i am now i don't I, I genuinely believe that anyone that tells you that they're better every single time they deploy is probably lying um and also of late to, to make sure that crossy doesn't catch up with me i've been doing a lot of squad leading so um, <laughs> if i went back to company command or platoon leading um what i guess what i'm trying to say is that when i was doing that every week or multiple times a week and the only person doing it is i was able to apply my my learnings from every deployment to the next one and i was very much in that mindset of platoon leading or company commanding whereas you know when you jump around a little bit more or perhaps take a break for a, a period of time for a certain role you certainly especially if the shop is changing during that period as well which as it has done over over time um you know some of our leaders for example still use some of the old comsop and things like that so um it, it certainly certainly uh, is true i would say i mean and it is good to deploy on lower levels every, every now and again yes. just to get back that perspective because as I, as I noticed leading platoons for a few weeks at a time and then going back to squat leading as you said i was quite rusty and then going back into the fire team even lower on on the roster things have changed since i deployed in fire teams regularly as a fighting leader as a member so to catch up and just um, put the finger on the pulse again was super useful yeah but yeah so i i think that there's a few there's a basically the summary there is that um the question essentially that we've deviated from was what's happening with rcs and the answer is essentially um it's not specifically been cancelled but there are problems or i guess efficiencies that we want to make to tiers before we add another system on top um because what i don't want to happen is introduce rcs as we've written it you know perfectly good system for achieving what we want to achieve but uh still have these people like me that have got these very uh, i've got high tiers in a number of areas from just simply being here for a long period of time and that uh trump carding rcs I, you know, I don't want that to be the case we should fix a few of the um specific issues with tiers as we know them to be and part of that might be like you say tier decay part of that is also we've discussed um breaking down some of the broader areas into more tiers so you've got like combat support has 
fire support in it, it has logistics in it, it has UAV operation in it, it has artillery cannoneers in it, it has combat engineering in it. You know, that's pretty pretty broad when you say them all at once. And they're not um, at all experience related and the people that are interested in those areas aren't necessarily interested in all of them. So, you know, and again, I talk about these things and I know everyone's going to be thinking the same thing. Oh no, if you if you make more tiers and that's more FTXs and then, then we're going to struggle to... So we're, you know, we're thinking about all of those things, but um, but in essence, you know, that would be a more accurate system if it didn't lump them all together. So we're leaving everything on the table but we're also considering what effect those things would have. And that's partly what we do when we're discussing stuff is to try and think much further forward into the future and what those things would look like in a year or two years time if, if they were left un untouched. So um, we might think, for example, it's logical to split combat support into three or four separate areas. And there's probably a few other tiers that that applies to, but then we have to think about all the, negatives that would fall out of that and whether that that then weighs up to be a good decision but you know ultimately we we leave everything on the table and once we're comfortable with a with a direction then then we'll obviously package it up and, and announce it also james if we go way 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 back on the unitev website how or not how similar is it going to be but how much of the old system can you inherit if you remember I don't know what the, the was like the what was it called like the traffic light system or whatever the hell you guys called it. I think that but, question but, could be a bit a bit opaque to the audience yeah. because they didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. it's also uh, that, that would probably only be relevant to RCS and. Uh, we'll we'll yeah. get to that soon, TM. Yeah, but people can always go back on on the Unitaf YouTube. You can go way back and look at uh, way before the tier system, at the systems that we had uh, had then. Would you say that in a, in a in a sense that the RCS could be an expansion of the tier system, breaking down combat area into specific roles? So rather than splitting up combat areas for tiers into, um, let's say, fire support, combat support, whatever, and then breaking them down further, that we could have tiers in specific roles. That would be what RCS kind of does, wouldn't it? That's sort of what RCS is. Tier system is is combat area based, whereas RCS is role based. Yeah. I don't want to focus too much on RCS because the the whole point of this, I guess, question in a way is why are we um, putting now changes to the tier system above RCS? I've sort of tried to explain that a little bit, um, but mainly because it's a it's a better understood system and we, we can probably address a lot of what we perceive to be issues such as those friendly fire incidents and any other mild inefficiencies through these changes and not necessarily need to add another system on top to do it, even if we do end up doing that anyway. There's a there's a very specific use case that RCS solves that the tier system will never solve, which is you know, somebody listening to this that's been in Unitaf for three months and is the world's best radio operator and knows our SOP inside out that has to grind through uh, the tier system to access the slot they want that you know that's the use case for rcs thanks for keeping track of sky <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i think that, <laughs> that covers what we had on the horizon and we can <laughs> 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 i can't segue i'm 
Okay, let's before we move on to the next section, let's look at some some of the questions that have been posed. <laughs> and Roshi had one a while ago about the official meetup and if it's still happening. Well, the think... actual event that we were trying to do, I think it's passed now. But yes, that was in June, wasn't it? In Kent, I believe so. We should probably wait till the merch is out and then. Uh... Uh, easily identifiable. Hoist, hoist a Unitaf flag somewhere and then uh, call one. But I think I think yeah, we should we should do something at some point. I, I think for merch, then we need actual fatigues and plate carriers so we can all, all arrive oh, in uniform. No, no. Okay, are there any other questions? Yes. <laughs> uh, from Miller, what happened to the idea to have Unitaf as a multi-gaming community with other tactical games? And I think that was also asked in a sense by Apple Chaser about armor and, armor and DCS combined campaigns. I mean, at its core, Unitav is still focused on armor milsim. Unisocial is just, besides being the biggest time eater James has ever conceived, uh, also more of a fun side up. And I think it even tells you when, when you go on the page right, that it's meant for R&R, well, &R, as he put it. I'd also say that um, it's important to contextualize it a little bit because there is no, there's no future where we become some sort of multi-gaming. That's just simply not what Unitaf was created to be. It's it's hyper specifically focused on the platform or platforms that we're deploying on. It's not to say that we we couldn't. And I think what Miller's getting at is we've talked about DCS before and very similar platforms. Um, I won't necessarily rule that out there's obviously going to be a point this year next year where we're overlapping on two but but we will be very careful about how we do that and um a lot of the part of our success is that when people lose interest in this platform they're either retired or discharged you know there is no um careful how i word this it, it, the important thing is that the we always look forward and that we're focused on what we're doing and where a lot of units go wrong is they try and do too much. We don't do anything other than armor. And if we did, um, I mean, these two will tell you and anyone that's involved in any sort of level of production or, or distribution of anything that we do will know that we don't have enough resources. It is so to focus on more than one platform would probably kill us. So we'll be very, very careful about when we entertain that in the future. There's an obvious yeah. one, which is armor four. And it may be that armor four covers part of what DCS does. You know, Armour 3 doesn't really simulate aircraft in a very good way, but we won't rule anything out, but what would the benefit be of, of bringing in another platform other than to grow the membership? And I'm not particularly interested in doing that if it's not going to benefit the, the core use case of what we're doing. So, But we'll never be, uh, in the traditional sense, a multi-gaming community because um, if somebody isn't interested in the core thing that we exist for, there is no place for them here. You know, this is not a community in the traditional sense. It's a platform, and that's quite often misunderstood. Also, one thing that pops up every few months again is PvP uh, operations, things like that. And it kind of harks back to what James already said. We're focusing on one sort of very specific aspect of Arma that is... This sort of milsim light co-op thing we have and again there's other groups that do pvp in armor way better than we could starting out or it, it would take a long long time to even get to the level they have same as it would take them a lot of 
time to get to our level of organization of uh, co-op operations. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way of putting it. And that is my my overall ethos, which is you, we've talked about in the past, haven't we? People have suggested, oh, should we do PvP events? And that is very much my attitude. No, we, we stick to what we're good at. If people don't enjoy that, then they obviously won't continue to attend. But if people do, they will come. It's very much an attitude of, um, you know, you trust Colgate when you buy toothpaste because they just make toothpaste. But if they made, I don't know, food coloring as well, like it, <laughs> you just focus on what you're good at and specialize in that. And uh, that could expand, as Miller said, to other platforms but if it does it will be a very specific consideration i think yeah i'm glad you didn't take yamaha as the example here i was, try I was trying to think of a better example than colgate but that's the one i went with pretty sure colgate does their own food coloring or not food coloring like their own coloring but can we segue away from this now <laughs> yeah well, that was, uh, that... another colorful topic <laughs> Not related to food coloring at all. Not as per the questions, which means we can move on to the next update section. And because we just talked sort of at length about um, <laughs> sort related stuff, shall we go to something that Zuko can talk about with J3, J5? J3, J4, or... J5, J6 loadouts as well. Yay. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we've already gone into quite a bit of it. James, did you just have something? No, that was just James Nice is okay. Um, no, I didn't, didn't specifically have anything. Speaking of James Noises, do you did you change your microphone? You changed. I, I did because uh, I was chewing through batteries on the other one, so I just decided to throw it across the room and switch back to my normal one. Well, you're not supposed to eat them, but okay. Well, I wasn't personally chewing through them, but oh, yeah. Come on, Glad you explained that. <laughs> Uh, J3 through J5, uh, again, we've already talked a lot about the improvements uh, that have been made, like uh, the slave loadouts that reduces the load on, or reduces the time to make new loadout sets. I, I do have some on standby that I've made out of my sort of own time and just because it's fun and uh, it's, it's nice to learn about that. We've also got, I think, four of my loadout change requests are new SOP uh, loadout change requests, SOP change requests, or new SOP uh, is related to mission support, be it the loadout SOP that pops up every now and then again. That will be coming soon, TM, because uh, I think it's a very important part of operations that everyone should be able to do if they follow a sort of guide, and that's exactly what it's going to be. Um, other than that, again, James already went into it, uh, winter is usually the time where more stuff happens, and we've already seen it in the deployment schedule. The amount of slots are rising constantly the past two weeks, three weeks-ish, and they're not going to stop anytime soon. So if you want to get your Medal of Occupations again, winter is the time. A few people managed to get them, I think, last week or week before last, which is, again, crazy. But then I think yeah. about the people who have like 21 uninterrupted deployments. It's also worth mentioning that um, I was sort of expecting that there were maybe a dip in, uh, say, total slots this year. Uh, again, because it, almost a full year, I guess, without COVID. But I mean, we're on 
6,376 slots produced this this year so far, and last last year was nine 9,174. So, you know, we've still got a full quarter to go. Um, I suspect we'll probably level with last year, which I suspect has some growth in it because uh, you know people were doing a lot more individual deployments then than they are now. But yeah, nothing more to report on J3 through J5's front. We'll get back to it in another topic down the line. Uh, J10, again, all website-related stuff we've already gone into. Um, I suppose I could lead that into a bit of J6, in, yeah. not, at least in terms of trainings. Uh, as you talk about slot supply, slot demand, and availability, um, one of the issues that's been brought up in chat as well is the frequency of FTXs and the interval between FTX of the same of the same kind, even within the within the combat area, but also just the same FTX. And part of remedy that is going to be a foundation of of a structure. Um, and probably going to be a forecast. How the details are going to look, not quite sure yet, but we want to get to a point where we can say, we know there's going to be an FTX in that time slot, and we're going to have to meet that time slot by some means, by getting matchmaking out for instructors, by organizing something with known instructors from a pool that we've vetted. Again, details are in the definition phase, as well, we are defining what the rules of instructors are. We're getting uh, to grips with a few of the ATAs that are still outstanding and making sure that we take stock of what we need to get through, get through that and push some out. What else could there be? Um, right, speaking of... What you yeah, mentioned I was just going to say, you mentioned something there, it's sort of time. I know, again, like most things in this in this Tavcast work in progress, but um, for people listening, so J6 traditionally was, I'm trying to think who was in charge of it. A lot of the joint groups were, just to answer someone's questions, J stands for joint uh, in the army, it's S stands for staff, but then in joint task forces, they don't have S shops, they have J shops, which is why it's a J and not an S. Um, in J6, um, which covers sort of lesson planning, SOP, um, there's a new team in there now, headed up by White Wolf and Skull Collectors, part of that team. And there's a lot of energy and movement in there at the moment. And part of that sort of thing, what we're talking about with lesson plans, is that currently to schedule stuff to the scheduler, you need a, a member of the org COC. And whilst we've not really decided it yet, um, when, when the lesson plan system is implemented, essentially we'll be able to say, you know, uh, Harusi, uh, Harusi is a bad example because of the York COC now, uh, I'll just take Grez because he was the last person to post there. Let's say Grez is uh, really adept in uh, combat support and J6 have decided that he's um, he's assisted in instructing on a specific lesson plan a number of times and then he's becomes a, an instructor. So you'll when you look at a lesson plan, you'll see a list of all of the approved instructors. And, you know, there's, it's not out of the question then for that person just to be able to schedule it. So you might find that there's more frequent but less uh, scale on, on FTXs because any improved instructor could, could spin up a session to train and distribute hours that way. And so that should help, I would have thought, somewhat. Um, 
in, in dealing with that. Again, I'm not sure that's exactly how it's going to work, but that's sort of the thought process, which is, you know, once somebody demonstrates they can conduct an intake, for example, it sh shouldn't really matter who that person is as long as they are able to deliver that lesson plan in a consistent way. Obviously, the benefit of instructing is that you get hours for it to top up your uh, potentially degrading tier, depending on what happens in the future. Hypothetical. Yeah. Plus, it's Could a great be... way to solidify what, what you've learned already, what you already know stuff about. Yeah, that's a good point, because you will always learn something when you teach it. And that is when you really get to grips with it, when you explain it to somebody else, because you finally understand what you sort of practiced also in theory. Yeah. Um, could that be... No, not yet. Not yet. I'm going to do Azuka and I'm going to tease. I'm not going to say what I'm going to tease. Ooh. So there you go. Is there anything <laughs> else on. J6 related? Um, I think other no, than I think... the SOP portal, mm. there'll be some updates to the SOP portal. Again, to anyone that's put an ATA in that's got a, a pending SOP request in will know it's a relatively slow process. Uh, we're aware of that. And um, part of what we're trying to do as a backlog is to design a system that, or an update to SOP portal that's going to basically allow us to streamline a little bit these SOP changes. We need to be able to get them out faster, but at the same time, we need to do it in a way that people are aware of what those changes are. And it's not like a, a shotgun approach of every time you come on the Discord, a SOP's changed and you, you know, you've got to go find it. So that, that's also something that we should do. And, and any, I think anybody can submit a SOP change request or an ATA last time I checked. I think it's just recruits that can't. Can privates? I thought privates couldn't. I'm not 100% sure, but I think I think it's private plus. It could be PFC plus. I'm sure somebody will confirm. Well, one of you privates has a great idea for an ATA. Go ahead and submit one. See if you can. Yeah. What is an ATA? And are you seriously asking that question? No, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I have four of them in currently. I we think. already know you don't read the change log, but yeah. ah, it's fine. <laughs> So it's changing so much. I think speaking of the change log, um, with the uh, interval between Tafkals, like we haven't done a really good job direct communicating to the people what's been happening. But if you look at the change log, unlike Zuka, you have been seeing the tiny <laughs> things, the small things happening here and there every week, basically, and today again. Yeah, I think what I would say to that is that that's something that I'm conscious of, um, certainly for unit staff or anyone that's been in a senior chain of command for a long period of time we're super conscious of the fact that things look very different depending on where you stand at and you know i guess over the last six months we can take for granted that we're having conversations but a lot of the time other than seeing meetings in the uh, deployment schedule you know people won't necessarily know what what we're doing and the reality i suppose is that if we're going to make a big change we'll communicate it and the simple fact of the matter is we haven't really made any big changes we've made a lot of little changes um but that, that's really feedback that would be useful in this in this thread i guess because that's probably the best place to put it and and actually the reason i guess why we put this on the agenda was because that's some of the feedback we were getting through the chain of command so um we're conscious of the fact that we need to communicate uh, more but it's also balancing the time that it takes to communicate uh, versus um actually doing the stuff that you want to communicate there's so much that we want to do 
um and it's we've got to find the right balance i've also pondered um the j2 which is media promotion i've also pondered turning that into a communications group with you know if there's anybody listening that's interested in likes writing like press releases or something like that there's maybe an argument there to um have a team that that take the discussions that we're having and and write it up in a way that we can release it almost like a sit rep i guess because you know sit reps take a long time to produce or even just small community community set reps i guess on what's happening in all of the ch- channels what there's like a million threads in non-armor chat that especially newer people don't know about until they get tagged in them mm-hmm. yeah Things what like i mean that. though the, the key thing there is that the if we're to communicate more um unit wide that if that takes up um my time then the the changes that we're making that require me to, to to happen then go down so it's a it's a balance of of time these are all important things to do um so, so it's more of a i guess a call if anyone's particularly interested in that that could be something that, that helps us but we are conscious of it and we'll probably put another tafcast in and um one of the other things i talked about at the start of the tafcast is that we've relied a lot more on change logs this year and we've obviously got one for the website but we don't have change logs for other things like potentially mods, uh, SOPs. So you may see a pivot towards more of that uh, type style of communicating, which is we um, roll that out um, across all areas. Um, but that does have some inefficiencies. You know, the good thing about a sit rep is that it collates all of those changes. Uh, but at the same time, if somebody's being reinducted, they can sort of scroll back up historically through change logs and find the information. So. You know, it, it is a question as much as it is a response. You know, what what would people find useful? You know, what do you want to hear about? Um, I mean, obviously, you've been asking questions in Tafcast because this is the perfect opportunity to ask questions if you've sitting on them and you thought, oh, I've always wanted to ask this because we'll answer any of them. But, um, you know, generally just going forward, you know, if you think about the last six months, what would you have liked to have known if anything is always useful for us to know? Because uh, we're conscious that... Uh, we chat a lot, but we don't always talk about what we're chatting about. And well, there's... even further expand on what James just said, I think he, that was an attempt at a segue there. Uh, uh, Go on. Question. You've got momentum. <laughs> Go on. As Clark already asked, like way back up in the thread, uh, will operations like Hetman open us up to more, uh, more types of weapon systems that we want to use? Uh, are we thinking of looking at using AKs? Are we thinking of playing as insurgents and things like that? Uh, yes and no, I guess, is the best answer there. Unless well, the James rule is, wishes to expand the, on it. The rule is the top has to work. So no to insurgents because it's a completely different way of fighting. and you, Our SOPs just not conducive with it. Um, we have done that years ago to mm-hmm. very little success. But um, you've seen with uh, Honey Badger with the ANA how we can pivot to that sort of thing. What we don't want people doing is um, acting outside the code of conduct. You know, if you're doing an ANA op, it's not an invitation to um, take the piss. You know, but we can do it, and uh, it was a good example of multi-faction stuff there. Yeah, and if you're Honey Badger. If you look at Headman again, going into a bit more exotic sort of equipment, using RPGs, using things like the pkm and just slowly sort of dipping our toes into all of the other things we we never really got to use and the 
uh, Red Platoon from Honey Badger was a good proof of concept and proof of we can pull ourselves together and we can make it work. Which, good job. I think that paved the way to try more. It was a su successful experiment and we can do more. Yeah, and I think, touch wood, I think we've <clears throat> ironed out a few of the kinks for that. So um, one of the ideas I've pitched is, well, pitched to Honey Badger, uh, is I'd like to do an op where it's the A and A, predominantly the A and A, but with like a US command, like not a US command, but like a, I guess a small taxi P party that are supporting them. So it's kind of fully A and A deployment, but with US uh, combat support, I think it could be quite interesting. So I'm looking for a, either a GM or a field leader for that, depending on which way we go. So what would be really interesting is having A and A vehicles, things like a BRDM, BTR, then US in a supporting role that would be held to uh, <laughs> identify the target, I guess. Um, just looking at questions. So some of it's going back on to previous topics, but Arisi saying uh, losing tears would give a incentive for more FTXs. Um, also, I think that there was one about backlash, which I don't know where that where backlash. that's gone. Shambhala was it? Oh, sorry, Shambhala. Yeah. Could a solution to the degrading tiers potential backlash be able to do a refresh course rather than a full FTX uh, quiz, for example, on Discord with the main areas covered? Um, do I do I suspect if we? I mean, again, this is all hypothetical. People are joining halfway through, but if hypothetically we. Um, introduced some some level of tier degradation that is saying that over time you know if you've got an ftx you did two years ago think about leadership ftx's or stuff that i did three years ago you know that starts to you know potentially expire after you know 18 months or whatever and it kind of it kind of encourages me to either attend or, or instruct um them over a long period of time rather than just smash them out over a short period of time um i suspect that probably would be the outcome that you see more FTXs but you know we don't want them to be pointless we want them to be generally useful and if you feel like you've maxed out um, your skill level in something which you know I personally would never believe that's the case but if that's your viewpoint then I think your your role or your obligation to the wider unit is to, to teach what you know to other people and I think the system should support that um, and I, th I think that could become in many forms you know we've it doesn't have to be a the same FTX it could be a shorter one, a longer one. It could be a, a we're using quite a lot of quizzes actually and uh, other stuff. I'm currently designing a online version of the uh, the UK game show Weakest Link as a team based comms FTX uh, game. So uh, you can it can come in many forms. Yeah, it can be just as enjoyable as a deployment, but it takes a lot of skill to to guise a educational piece like that. Uh, but, the weakest Roger. <laughs> there you go. I've got a brand for it now. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something we're obviously conscious of. Uh, I think it makes a lot of logical sense, but I also think that Shambhala is probably right. You know, if you've, if your active time in units above 18 months, I think they're the people that we need to speak to and, and have those conversations with to make sure that if we do something like that, we do it the right way. And Harisi asked, um, no candidates are not technically part of UNITA. Not yet. Not but yet. Soon TM. Soon We're finishing up the induction as we speak, probably. Uh, Hopefully. 
but also to get back on the whole topic of uh, using more foreign weapons, weaponry, tech, all of that stuff. Uh, that's something that I've been personally thinking about and, and looking at a lot is we now have sort of so many eras that we operate in and have deployments in everything, well, from World War II up to 2039 with Polaris and everything in between. Uh, but it's also interesting to sort of hear back uh, what you guys like the most because it's always very hard to gauge that from the ARs, like how much of how much did they like it because they only were given bolt action rifles in World War II, or how much did they like it because they had all of this tech and all of this this cute, cool futuristic stuff in Polaris, or why didn't they like it uh, and things like that. Same with Hetman, again using a bit more exotic stuff. Same with the new campaign coming up, or I say that's in development. It's not coming up. It's in development. Thank you. Uh, that we'll be using, again, some more exotic stuff uh, because at this current point, we only utilize sort of a small percentage of what all of the mods offer. Uh, I mean, you've all sh already shot at a BTR. You've all already uh, seen a BRDM or T72, whatever. But actually driving the fin and actually shooting the thing is, of course, a completely different experience and it comes with its own challenges and what I think are fun challenges. And it also kind of puts a new coat of paint on the entire thing. And I'm going to post well, at, a, at the same time, I still think we're a lot better than we used to be. I mean, consider yeah. mo most of our peers. I mean, we, G Germany, Poland, US, UK, this, I can think of probably 20 plus factions we've played as in varying different guises. You can always do more, can't you? But yeah the and eras of, is uh, eras as well as another one you know we um certainly are conscious about spreading it but we we're operating over four minimum four eras on a relatively regular basis yeah the the picture i've just now posted in the live chat the sort of pmc looking guy with an ak is a sort of concept art or i say concept art it's a concept loadout for another campaign that's in development that would be more of a uh, FBI or P PM, not not really PMC. It's sort of a more of a clandestine thing. Uh, think uh, Parable, but in a different setting. Don't no, don't say. think about Parable. <laughs> don't think about Parable. <laughs> uh, but it would be something in that vein. Again, you see, we're using uh, AKs, so it's definitely something we're developing. It's something we're looking at, but again feedback on or sort of your experiences of what sort of operations you like more uh, would also really help i'm personally more on the scale of i like it when you don't have all the technology in the world i like it when you have to sort of give work with what you have and even if what you have is shit and you make it work that's more uh re rewarding for me than it is being given like the gucci equipment and then succeeding because well i have the gucci equipment but with how little can I still succeed is sort of always my yeah. scale of how interesting. I'm sort of the same, but I personally like it when you, uh, you know, when you don't go to a World War II loadout and then the AR says I didn't get a GPS or something like that. Mm -hmm. Please do read the campaign, <laughs> campaign <Yeah>. briefings. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm much of a convert to sort of the between Cold War and like the sort of honey budget eras. I think. Um, yeah. I think there's a definite, again, for me, there's a definite 
enjoyment that comes from not being told where you are and having to be perceptive about that but you know each to their own there's a there's a place for and, and one of the great things that we're able to explore is we're exploring these sort of sunday we're about to deploy on our furthest one campaign 2039 you know and we just did an sf op last night on that where god forbid we had thermal which i'm pretty sure is a sop breach i just need to triple check um but but yeah i mean the very high tech stuff and, and as i talked about we've got a honey badger coming up a, a giant's bane coming up which is obviously world war Two. so um you know i think you can take skills away from from both deployments i think playing one makes you better at the other the beauty of obviously unitaf is that you don't have to go to either if you don't enjoy that specific thing um but i think the sort of inclination that we've put towards teaching things like land nav has come directly from the fact that we are operating in non-gps eras on regular basis yeah and it's also not just non-gps it's also things like weapon attachments weapons in some cases again world war ii the ar only gets like a, a brand with a 30 round mag in it instead of a 249 with a 200 round box which is amazing but anyway uh or being a sniper without a rangefinder a sniper without a rangefinder has to like lick his finger and test the wind direction which you can do with ace i'm gonna give you one minute in marksmanship ftxr if you yes. can repeat my sentence at one five i've never been to one mil is one meter ah oh, you just ruined it i was about to get as i said i've never been to a marksman ftx never done a single combat hour but i know that one <laughs> is it one mil is one meter just from memes alone at, at yeah. one click yeah yeah at one yeah sorry at one kilometer. yeah that's important james yeah. that's important yeah. it has uh, worked proliferation of marksmanship skill has worked <laughs> i was so bummed when i didn't manage to grab a slot last time i missed your release and now i'm further marksmanshipless. i'll do another i mean we've got the forecast of j6 uh, promised and working on so who am i to deny you a marksmanship ftx and i'm gonna have yes. to schedule another another one put me in as an instructor on that i'm uh, I'll, go, I'll be the bad example you're, ah, you can, good... Sorry, it's cool. you, uh, you can do the one thing then and just repeat my sentence and then you log on <laughs> and that's your three hours done a couple of questions I think probably applicable to Zuka one one actually I, who is he who is he playing I think it's a joke this 20 plus sniper off only when somebody else posted it earlier it was Frozen Wolf about uh, more deployments with air vehicles we have said previously on Tafcast about Azuka um you know, if people want to make missions that are specific for those orbats, they they can. It's just that traditionally most of our mission makers don't do that. But there's definitely the opportunity if somebody wants to make. In fact, we've done some in the past. You know, where you've just got a tactical air control party, and you know you've got a yeah, flight of, two, of a fixed wing or or and sniper teams. So if people have got those sort of concepts, um, make them. If you want to make them yourselves, or if you want to. If you want that because you want to fly, then you're probably going to have to take some part in making it happen because uh, it it requires a, a team of people to get these sort of things off the ground. But there's nothing in our policy or um, stuff. Matt, that Matt, let him, let me tease it proper. <laughs> the other question, Zuka, is from Miller. So he's saying um, it was technically PvP, but in Everglades uh, there were player-operated Spetsnaz forces playing against the players, and it really upped the game. Could this be utilized more, not full-scale PvP, but um, but yeah, basically you get it increasing the immersion yeah. using not full role players. 
Uh, it could, but it's also worth looking at the ARs of that deployment. I'm not going to get too deep into it, but if it's not, how do I say it? Like clearly communicated or how it's not, not trying to make it sound better. It, it was a good, good op. It was a good experiment with uh, this format as well, but it, it also needs communication sort of both ways. Um, I would make an observation as well. I think that goes to what you're saying, which is if it wasn't, called up for roleplay and it didn't appear on the orbit um i suspect that um it wouldn't have been mentioned by many people the deployment but the psychological element of knowing yeah that there are people out there that are inverted commas out to get you is a big uh, is a big thing and this can be seen actually in other areas not related to this where players are aware of certain things being the case and almost without evidence, I'm not saying people are lying in the AR, but it tends to weigh heavy on one's mind. Um, so I think almost if you were going to do that, you'd need a way of the player not knowing that that's even happening. Um, I mean, we, we we did it that way in one of the last Honey Badger, uh, not Honey Badgers, Brimstones we did, where we suddenly had four Russian-speaking uh, op for RPs on an RBAT that weren't, well, strictly communicated. And then suddenly a sort of, Spetsnaz force turning up uh, in the same AO as our guys were operating, but they didn't know about it. So it went to a firefight, then it, then came negotiations, and then they finished the objective together, which yeah. was a uh, really funny to see from uh, from a zoo's perspective. It's worth saying at this point, if anyone has got any questions that are just completely unrelated to anything that was discussed, now would be a good time to put them in the chat so that they can be pinned and we'll I say we'll try and answer anything that gets asked um, but if you don't ask it obviously we can't answer it and um, regarding back to the sort of question of 20 plus snipers up when I'm not even kidding we have a concept that is I wouldn't say 20 plus snipers but it's something in a similar vein for Hatman and if you know what the heavy uh, heavy sniper is for Hatman or the medium sniper uh, you can think of a way to utilize those against, let's say, helicopter or people that drop out of a helicopter. <clears throat> Same with the all MBT uh, deployment. I think we've already attempted a 70, 73rd Eastings not a campaign, like a special deployment way back that had its own flavor of flaws. Uh, but there is some very exciting... Uh, special deployments, like multi-core uh, special deployments in the planning, in the works. But I don't want to tease too much about it. I just want to say they're there. They're shaping up to be pretty cool. And they should be able to tell quite a unique story. Cool. Um, see a question from Baker. Um, I've seen growth goals for our unit in the UNITAF roadmap. Are we currently working towards a goal in this department? I think what he's referring to is that roadmap has unit expansion uh, items in it. Um, I guess the most simple answer to that is for those that don't aren't aware of how we intake. So we have a, what's called a force cap. So the current force cap is 140. So that's a cap that I set on the total rostered size. So what J1, which is recruiting them attention, they have a dashboard which shows 
the current force cap, the active force size, and how many places are available for candidates. So we we still average about, and you can find this on Newstats, we still average about 30 applications a month. And essentially the way we process those is most people will make it to an intake, but then there's sort of a discussion that happens at the intake stage now that depending on when you join the listener, it may be different to the way that you did it. If you join relatively recently and you were part of the intake system, it will be quite similar. If you joined on part of the old system, it's probably very different. But so there's an intake going on right now, which has, I think, nine candidates on it. So assuming they all are fine, then that could be plus nine to the active force. So the the other metric that I put on is, is a is a arbitrary metric that we can't have more recruits than we have privates. So that's also a factor that um, we use to moderate to make sure that we're not inundated with new people or people that have no fatigue, for example. So there are a couple of controls that we have on growth and the force caps there really because, look, historically, the most people we deploy ever is half of you can basically run a, a graph that shows maximum deployment size and active force size over three years. And we will only ever generally our largest deployment to be half of the active force size. So bearing in mind our max orbit sizes that we can realistically send or we're, that we're willing to send in Armour 3 because of its technical limitations versus AI is about 70. It makes no little sense to have an active force above 140. That's why the cap is set at 140. Um, what would the benefit of it being 160, for example, 170 be other than you could do more deployments? That's very much a a question that you know I'm not I'm not inclined either way on. We may increase the force cap. We may not. Um, but certainly one thing to expect from a culture perspective is that when we've got a platform that allows us to deploy 100 people, that logically the minimum size of the force will be 200. If it allows us to deploy 150, then probably the minimum size will be 300 because historically that's how many people we need to deploy the maximum amount. So I wouldn't rule it out. I think plus nine, now we've got 14 spaces on the active force and there's nine on admission. So that leaves five spaces for the next intake. So I wouldn't rule out increasing it, but at the same time, we just want to make sure that we've, yeah, it's it's quality over quantity, isn't it? That's always been the aim. So hopefully that answers Baker's question. So sort of the short and sweet of it is when we have a game that, or when we have a new armor that allows us to put more people into the same operation, we will increase it if we can support it. But it's always about if we can support it. I mean, we're I already so. seeing like yeah. seven, eight, seven, eight, nine deployments a week and putting on even more of that uh, also has sort of negative side effects. One of those is uh, something that was a bit of a problem in the past is sort of leadership fatigue. You got to think on, on every, every operation you need, depending on size. Oh, James, what's the exact percentage of leadership? No, I, know, I know what you mean. Um, it's 19%, but what I'm, I know what you're saying is that it's chicken and egg, isn't it? You know, you add more people, you need more leaders, you need more mission makers. Yeah. But, but if you add more people, then you get more leaders, you get more mission makers. So if you add the right people, it's chicken and egg. You know, we're in a comfortable position now. Yes, 
quite often we, we've got a vacancy on a leadership level with addressing that but you know people that are applying to UNICEF are the future in a way and there's always going to be a, a retirement percentage or a discharge percentage so we we aren't and have never to be honest struggled in that area but we should never be complacent either and um I think I'm open to um, I'm open to making it a bit bigger. I mean, ultimately, what we're doing is we're using the the active force that we have, which is about 130, is is what we maintain. The difference of about 10 people between the cap and the active is that if you think about it, there's always people in the process of joining, either nine people joining today, and people in the process of leaving or or getting retired. Um, but the other thing that we always see in winter, and we've seen already a bit of an uptick in is reactivations so a lot of people will go into retirement during the summer and then they'll react or try and reactivate or apply to reactivate in the winter and uh, we don't know necessarily how many people will do that this year but that that could have quite an effect on the active force size that's of a little bit of a benefit because if they're a mission maker or a leader historically then they they already come in with a level of skill or experience which will be useful What are the topics? That was the have? last question that I saw. Have we had any more coming? I think it was. Do we have... Uh... So if anyone's got any questions, now will be the time. Just scanning. I don't think we've missed any. If anyone's posted one, they think we've missed it. By all means, either repost it or post a link to it. But I think script-wise, we've covered um, those sort of main topics we were covering were around the tier system, weren't they? Rushi, milk or cereal first? Cereal. Only, uh, cereal. Yeah, but only serious uh, questions. Probably please. the most foundational question asked on this Tafka. Yeah, I mean, it is quite existential, though, because I have seen arguments for milk first. Code of conduct, that should be. <laughs> no, code of conduct should be tea. Tea or milk first. No, no milk. What the hell? There's, a, there's only one, one right answer. I'm not I, I, seeing any questions. I feel like we've, <laughs> we've obviously done a really good job of communicating this stuff, Gus, because uh, there's literally no questions. If anything, it's more about <laughs> anything other than the questions. <laughs> you put tea in your cereal? You don't? <laughs> uh, I used I, to have a friend that put, um, I think it was just full, like full fat Coca Cola in Cheerios. What? Why? He was American. It was playing oh, 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 okay. Oh, okay. I love it how as European is just like, oh yeah, makes sense, makes sense. <laughs> Funny, fun fact actually, I think of this intake, and is it intake 73? I think 75% of them are US, I think. Ooh, I that's that's Ooh. fuel for Baker. Well, Baker's um, currently trying to get a bit of uh, US operations going, I think. Yeah. Come on, Baker, raise your hand. We can pull you <laughs> in. We can talk a bit about it. All the Americans in the chat just, wait, wait, hold on, what? See, the thing is, if this was an FTX and people were getting hours for it, well, there would be loads of questions, wouldn't there? There would be, we'd be inundated with them. I mean, they can get administration hours, right? 
Do like we? we did with Platoon Lead. Did we get administration? Or did... oh, we should. We should. We definitely should. Yeah. That's, uh... Yeah, like we did with Platoon Lead. Or, uh... These guys only have to sit for it every six months. <laughs> we do it every two weeks. Fair. Oh, can we be on the clock? Can we clock him whenever we we write on something related to J to the J officers? I should probably do that. Like every time I spin up something you need to have related, just clock in. Just yeah, so list. just uh, Baker's probably going to talk think about it, but yeah, to my knowledge, Baker is um, obviously US time zone, and he is um, trying to get some ops going in that time zone. I mean, traditionally, when we've done them before, mostly Europeans that deploy on it, but. Uh, I say there's nothing. There's nothing to say. Our deployments have to start at um, 1800 UTC, 1700 UTC. That's just tradition, really, more than anything. Um, so yeah, there's we're always open to that sort of stuff. Oh, I'm not. I don't want to lead Baker's question into uh, this into Baker's question. But Baker's asking, any plans to reactivate Fort Troop? Um, well, I mean, if you think about it logically, it's inevitable at some stage that the unit will continue to grow. Um, I think just our current realization was that at the time, for those that aren't aware of how the administration functions, that when we had four troops, we didn't, is that right? Because we didn't have troop sergeants or we didn't have troop sergeants in three of them. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I think I was the only one back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the fundamental rules that we try and stick to is that there's two people at every level. Now, obviously there isn't a second at my level at the moment and but every troop has a 2IC and every section has at least one 2IC. So the reason for closing four troops was purely because at the time Dung was retiring and we wanted to go back to making sure we had double um, on every level. And that those in the Orc SOC and the troops and sections felt that they could deal with more people than they had assigned to them. So the current plan really is we're just going to keep reviewing it as we grow. Um, to 150, 160, whatever. My suspicion, I've sort of said to the AUXCC and our inter AUXCC updates is I think we'll probably get to about 160 to 170 on the active roster before the section and troop commands scream at us and say that it's too much. And then around that time, we'll probably bring the fourth troop back. But you know they lost. They one of the jokes. Well, it wasn't really a joke. But when I closed four troop, I sent them all a message saying, you know, at least you lost. Um, oh, the Union Olympics as well. <laughs> so I said, for one third of you, you're going to be joining the winning team. So it's not all bad. Well, the reason I didn't want to lead the previous topic about the US time zones into the four troop thing was, would it make sense to have a COC related to time zones, because you'd be able to catch. If let's say we have a troop who's just American, you'd be able to catch somebody more likely than if one was American and your COC was European. Yeah, that's a it's a good point. Um, it's a um, we're not there's nothing to say we couldn't do that. Um, yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, I've got the stats here. The of the active force, um, 107 are European, so 85.6%. Um, 12, that's 9.6% are American or North American. That's about to be 21. And Africa, 2.4%. Asia, 2.4%. United States, 8%. United Kingdom, 32%. Netherlands, third biggest, 7.2%. 
Germany, mm. Norway, Poland, Belgium, Finland. So it's not a massive problem, but I suspect it'll probably become a bigger one and then maybe we'll do something like that. I'm seeing a bit of concern about travelism and uh, being with you know, Hotspur saying being with Euros is more interesting. Well, it wouldn't, nothing would say that you have to deploy with your troop or your section. It would just make COC easier. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, uh, I wanted to speak to Baker about something. Uh, oh, well, so when people join the York COC, they get an induction, a bit like the induction you have. Um, and I sent him a time for it and he said yeah it's just a bit early for me but didn't sort of say no and it turned out it was like half five in the morning i said actually it's it's fine more the range a different <laughs> time so so yeah for the coc when they're dealing with stuff like administrative stuff it does make sense like you say to have a similar time zone but yeah not not deployments for anyone listening there's no, obviously no point in doing that you deploy to whatever you can go to is that true? One hundred percent of the Hungarian. Yes, because it's just him. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm just saying, hungry. Not point eight percent, one person. Yeah. And I think on on the sort of topic of of tribalism again, the troops are meant to be purely administrative, so any tribalism would already be sort of barking at the wrong tree because you're not consistently deploying with each other you're not really yeah it's not it's yeah. not i've made a very conscious effort to avoid giving the troops names and logos and stuff because it's not that important in the grand scheme of things and that's what your auxiliary will generally tell you that the troop that you're in doesn't matter a lot but it actually could matter a fair bit i mean it's i guess important that you get on with the people that are the administrators in your troop because they're the people you'll deal with most often um but also with Unit um, Olympics, we have done some competitive stuff, and we're not necessarily ruling that out. Um, I was quite conscious to watch that to see if that was positive or if it or if it felt negative as an experience, because um, there's nothing particularly harmful about that sort of. No, it's not com competition that we're trying to 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 garnish. We're just trying to, a bit of identity, I guess, is probably more than anything. Um, so we may do more of that. We may not, but. Um, like you say, it's it's not really having an effect in deployments and is not designed to ever have any implication on specific deployments other than those sort of special events like uh, Olympics. Would you have rare enough to hopefully not foster anything of that nature in the day-to-day? -day? Yeah. Just like recruit deployments. Hmm. Hmm. I think I, I missed a question. Or, oh, yeah, a sort of topic request from, from Shambhala about MERT and its usage in operations with, in conjunction with uh, squad medics or combat medics and things like that. Again, it's, it's as I've already said in the channel chat, and I'm more than happy to open it up again, is it's all very, it's campaign dependent, it's ORBAT dependent, it's mission dependent, and it all flows into METTC. Uh, you can read on, up on that in the SOP if you wanna, but it's it's very hard to calculate how many casualties you'll take or why you'll take those casualties. Again, with these sort of oh, it's time for our calculated, our scheduled mass cast incident today. Yeah, in, so because unfortunately, the better you do, the worse time Mert has because they don't get to do their job if your platoon is doing stellar. I think it's a good it's a good question it's probably outside the scope of what we could talk about in any particular detail but for for, for history purposes 
we used to exclusively deploy 14 to 15 man squads permanently. I mean, there would never used to be a thing as CMT or Mert. And part of the problem with that from a gameplay perspective is as you start to have multiple squads on the field, they adopt this um, self-sustaining mentality of um, very much dealing with things internally and not relying on any external support. So the gradual progression towards CMT and Mert is when you've got three squads it becomes, in theory, on paper, a lot more efficient to centralise. Not completely. You, you still need some internal ability to, to, to do first aid, to do secondary aid. But to centralise those tasks in such a way that when there is an incident of any particular nature, that you can then descend a much more efficient uh, support unit onto that to, to help. In theory, it sounds great and it works, but, but in execution, this sometimes doesn't doesn't work exactly as planned. So I would say that the answer to Shambhala's question is probably lies in, in an addition to medical SOP or even leadership SOP. There's a lot of things like this where we haven't quite formed a procedure to, to determine at what stage a CMT is, is becomes mandatory or what stage MERT becomes mandatory. Um, we've got a lot of lessons that we've learned about the usage of things like CMT and MERT, but they can't all work together. If you if you're deploying CMT and MERT, you, you need, you wouldn't deploy them together, but let's just say you're deploying two CMT teams in ambulances. There's certain METC considerations that would lead you to do that, but you can't then add your traditional platoon medics and squad medics on top because from a gameplay perspective, you've then got a mix of roles and not a lot for either of them to do. So there are a lot of moving parts that need to work. And I guess what you have to remember here is... Um, we have so many different field leaders and, and game masters that unless something is, is written into SOP and, and distributed, we won't uh, create a standard that's uniform across deployment. So you will see, um, as with leadership SOP, there is an allowance for nine to 15 man squads, depending on circumstances. And we haven't decided yet to standardize that. And that is relatively intentional at the moment. But with CMT and MERT and squad medic usage, there's definitely room to um, provide guidance in there based off of our our learnings. And it may be something that the medical CSIP have looked at or are looking at. I suspect they probably are. It's also not just that. It's There's a lot of auxiliary, auxiliary factors you can uh, influence to sort of, at least in, in the case of, for example, loadouts. A lot of the recent loadouts are made with the intent to be very trim, very light, and they sort of... Uh, suffer in the self-sustained department instead. That's very intentional because if a squad leader has to stop and lock pack or if a squad leader has to actually call someone in to mend someone's broken bone, that already gives the supporting elements more to do. As fun as it is to pack everything you need for an entire free hour up into your backpack and then asthmatically walk from point A to point B and never need resupply, that kind of defeats the purpose of all of these yeah. slots as well. Not least because calling somebody for help actually creates the cooperative battlefield environment and feeling that you have to rely on other people to get your experience and thereby giving them an experience. Yeah, yeah. this is, I mean, all all bats go through an approvals process, but we don't always get it right. And that's what after action reports are for. And it's those after action reports from those people in those supporting roles that really help us to form those um those SOPs moving forward. And if you, something you're particularly interested in, there are teams you can get involved in, in to, to help with that guidance. But like I say, for that specific instance, there isn't currently a written procedure to determine. There is 
a loose set of considerations that we make like you, you'll note recently that we uh, had mert and we made a distinction between mert which is airborne and cm2 which is groundborne for exactly that reason because when we're scheduling deployments we want you as the player and us as the organizers to understand exactly what the intent is with that unit and there are use cases where mert works but it has to be very very it's a very very tight set of met tc considerations so for mert to work you have to have air superiority you know you can't be flying around with medical if the enemy has air superiority cmt can work in a lot of examples but you know if you've got lots of mountains and the enemy have got vehicle, that can also be um problematic and then you've got the cases like last night where we're behind enemy lines as an sf team and we can't use cmt or mert because we don't have any ability to, to be supported so there's sort of three main functions and you know creating a standard that's obvious is what we do in every area and uh, we learn all the lessons compile them and then write them into something that can be updated so that I suspect that's probably the solution with that one, but that's just one of a thousand different things that have to be decided on a week to week basis. There is some okay. uh, input on the, on the situation about giving Mert or CMT a side mission, a side quest, which is a fantastic idea, I think. However, one of the considerations there, I would think, is when the players need Mert, Mert must be available. They shouldn't be busy somewhere else. Or that has to be organized and incorporated into, into the mission concept as a snag. It's, it's literally the reason why a lot of field leaders avoided using it, because we went through a phase of doing that. I mean, don't get me wrong, these are perfectly reasonable ideas to have, but if, if it's the first idea that you've had, it's probably been tried. Um, <laughs> but exactly that reason people stopped using it and started drifting back towards using squad minutes because whenever Mert was deployed, the main thing that was said in the AARs was Logi was useless or, and this isn't how you should word an AAR, but this is typically what they sound like, but you know, Logi didn't, took too long, was incomplete. You, you can't send these elements that are emergency supporting elements on side missions for AI because the exact second you do that is the moment the call comes in 100% of the time. And then it frustrates the platoon, it frustrates the platoon sergeant, frustrates the field leader, it frustrates every single body on the deployment because they've had to wait 20 minutes for Mert to come off of their side mission and uh, do that. So, yeah, it's frustrating both sides, but these are unfortunately the way if something can go wrong, it will go wrong. And I always remember one where Logi were given a side task and they got, I don't know, the rotor blade on their helicopter went or something, and then we ended up having to rescue them. So, <laughs> you know, these things, if they can go wrong, they will go wrong. So, uh, you know, if you're slotting in these roles, there's an expectation that you shouldn't be bored stiff, but it is a supporting role and something like Mert, you know, you probably will be sat back at base waiting for a task, but it doesn't mean to say that you couldn't do something like Build practice take off and landings or... Yeah, do do something that's not critical necessarily, essentially, that, that can help you build um, support as a crew. But again, I don't deploy in those roles that often, so I'll leave it to the people that, um, you know, will. CMT is probably the best one because CMT is an attachment which is pretty flexible and, that you know, they can get stuff done and do things um, that aren't particularly 
going to be problematic if they need to to be dispatched quickly. Yeah, and even then again, a lot of it also falls on the other elements to call them in on time and to sometimes call them in even if you don't need their full capacity. Like if if there's only one guy in your team that needs a pack or in your squad, but you have a bit of time, you're currently in a defensive position, you can hold it. Call them in, give them something to do, and you have a completely healed up uh, squad member as well plus resupply, plus whatever, uses the sort of lulls in combat to top yourself up. Yeah. Yeah, Rufi, watch, watch Netflix, but also just be social. It's a cooperative game. Talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as long as they're ready to go when they need to be, that's... You know, it's just, I, mean, I, it is... I, I remember that one time in... Ah, uh, it was the USMC campaign on uh on uh not Pakistan on a fucking Ah, uh, what's the other island called? Uh, while you're thinking about it, uh, what was the British campaign? The Dash Dawn. So yeah. when we first introduced Mert, we used to always, and this is probably one of the most perfect use cases for Mert is on insurgency campaigns where the enemy don't have the ability really to deal any type of damage to aircraft, or if they do, it's relatively minor. Um. And the Merc would always wait at base, and the typical Merc crews, I think, was like attack piece, Skelly, and uh, maybe Bex. And what they used to do was, if you watch their stream, is on the base that was an uh, assault course. So they would be like running around with their weapons on their backs, trying to beat each other's times on the assault course. And then obviously they'd get the radio call, and they'd all have to scramble to the to the chopper. And you know, I remember it, it was, that I was I was a yeah. casualty in one of them. And if anything, it was like a cult-like thing. People were slotting to Mert because they wanted to do that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, if that, people that are interested in that type of area, you know, it is a, at the end of the day, it is a response role. It's, if nobody slotted for it, we'd probably kill it off. But, you know, people slot for it and, you know, quite often rate, rate it high. And it's the same for Logi. It's a particular type of, of gameplay, and it's obviously much slower than, uh, than combat roles. I think one time where I was... Logistics engineer, uh, support engineer. We actually had a a race to resupply or something like that with the Humvees, which uh, turned out absolutely fine. We were as quick as we've ever been, and definitely not blown up or in a ditch somewhere. Definitely. Have we had any more questions coming? Will we go off on huge tangents? What even an even bigger tangent than we already are? Well. I'm just conscious if anyone's got a question that we've answered it, but I think I think we have. No, not that I can see. Thanks, Lex. I'm not going to ask for details. Oh, there's one that we didn't <laughs> touch on from Miller, which is just reposted. Um, ping for armor survival as well as a TS channel for it, given that it's raising demand playtime. Oh, is that an existing thing? Um, I don't know. Um, typically, the rule is we have the monopoly on armor, so we don't, the unisocial specifically non armor. There's obviously one exception to that, which is the public server. Um, Ooh, speaking of that. Oh, is there something to announce on that front? Uh, but to answer this question, uh, I'd have to come back to you on it. But the main issue is that the, the rules essentially are around if you're on our platform, our rules apply. So if we have channels for armor games that are on our platform, but they're not controlled by us, then it raises questions about how we administrate it. But it's not flat no, it's just we'll need to 
see how that fits in with the restrictions in the code of conduct. But you had a, what were you saying there, Zuka, about servers? Yeah, we're looking at the sort of viability of other systems to put on the public server. If you've been here for a while, you know that the lib servers isn't currently up or is, well, I think they finished the last one and never made a new one. But we're looking at um, ways to sort of imitate a standard operation, but in a sort of more casual setting. Think uh, when you play CSGO, you have your sort of ranked games and you have your casual games. And I kind of would like the public server to be something along the lines of that, where it still gives you uh, the ability to play as you would in an operation uh, with the same or training SOP, training your AT shots, training your sniper shots, training your leadership, things like that which is all things Liberation didn't really let you do because it was all based the sort of same two missions and it didn't really have like an overarching uh, strategic uh, consideration to make. And be, inter be interesting to see because if, it, if it's close enough to like what you can get an operation to be and it's using the same settings, it's a good like baseline for getting experience. And I could almost have an idea there where there's a, a page on the website you can go to that's like a fixed orbat that never never disappears from the op center and when you're playing on the public server you slot onto it and that's how you get access and then when you leave you de-slot because um maybe there'd be the opportunity to get hours i don't know if, it, if it's regulated properly as an idea i also that also reminds me of some other things that we're doing with the framework which i forgot to mention which is um you know when the server opens and the, when you look at the Orbat, there's a padlock next to everyone's name because obviously the Orbat's locked. Mm -hmm. At the moment, in the framework, we've only ever done one-way communication, so we've only ever read information from the website, whereas now we're starting to send information back. So when you access the arsenal, we're sending a ping back to say, oh, by the way, Zuka's on the server. So then there's oh, a green... Oh, that could also mean that... There's a green light thing. on next to your name, and if somebody's not connected yet, it'll be red. So if anything, the field leaders can tell exactly how what percentage of the Orbat have logged in just by looking at the Orbat. And then we've also talked about before when you're slotting on ops that you don't have to refresh the page. It's just showing you as slots are taken. So it's stuff like that when I talk about quality this year that we've done a lot of work on. And there's loads of other things that we've looked at. And uh, Miller and Chris, uh, not B Miller, uh, Recruit Miller and Chris, that I've been chatting to about certain other things with the framework that we'll want to build in now and take on to Armour 4, like logging how much equipment has been taken and then comparing it with how much is used and all sorts of stuff like that. So, yeah, that sort of ties into your public server idea because I kind of imagine that there will be a way of integrating that somehow and tracking the time in role. Yeah, I, I did a fun little brain jog a few weeks or like a month back where I asked some of our most experienced medical people what they actually need bandage-wise or IV fluid-wise and sort of influenced that into how I make my loadouts because looking back at some of the SOP, uh, that was made for a different time uh, with how much was packed and how much like everyone getting packs and loadouts and things like that. It's it's always very fun to look at what's actually needed and optimize everything that way. Absolutely.
But yeah, this new public server thingamajig would be something in the vein of Alive, if anyone knows about Alive, I'm sure a lot of people do, where it's a constantly evolving battlefield, but you don't get any of the info. It's basically AI versus AI duking it out, and you're a part in it. So there's a lot of stuff going on around you that you can choose to investigate or choose to be a part of it or just not be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, questions. Seen a few more come in. Kerry, why not add a Lance Corporal rank to leaders in learning who can then slot themselves into GFTL slot? Very good question. I like that. Uh, wouldn't be a rank, though. Because I think our rank system has a different purpose, but uh, that's a good idea. I think we've probably thought about similar before, which is at the moment we have a GFTL request system. So what Kerry's saying is, well, you just have a list of people that are approved in 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 learning, and then just allow them to slot. I think that's a good idea. Let's put it in suggestions. I'm sure, we'll get it done. I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, we in the early days you couldn't even access a, a fire team in a slot. Unless you're in the OCC, we've recanted a fair bit on that, um, and we may well move towards a position where almost all fire team is, I suppose, it probably going to be not not necessarily mandatory part of the OCC. But I quite like that idea. I think we could do something there. Yeah, and it's yeah. also again, it's already handled in a sort of different way now, but formalizing it doesn't sound like a bad idea. Mbala's weekly. Uh, is there any update? I'm not having to refresh the page. Um, <laughs> Shabala, everyone here has been waiting three and a half years for that. So if you have got away another three weeks, I wouldn't worry too much about it. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't have a date for it. I mean, there's about 250 items on the development uh, tracker, and it's one of them. Yeah, just check at like 4 a.m. when a new change log gets posted. That's likely when he does them. I mean, the one thing we have fixed is the server crashing on all bat releases. I mean, we did a fair bit of work on that. To, so it's not considered to be a massive priority at the moment, although I agree it would be fantastic. So, Well, you did say that most of developments happen during the winter, but we never said which winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> winter is coming at some point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I talking a bit before about looking at an Orbat, and uh, that same technology would be really handy there. So not having to refresh the page, but the green lights just popping up as people connect would be really neat, wouldn't it? So. Would it be doable to set up a tech check server on the day of the op? What I would imagine is an empty mission or it's a Stratus with an arsenal where we can join. Being able to access the loadout set on uh, certainly possible. Um, I don't know. Yeah, usually I mean, throw the server up anyway before an op to test things. Yeah, I think it's more the question is more towards just allowing people to connect to it and uh, things like that. It's certainly I mean, not a what, bad idea. What, what would help there without having to throw a server up is having the shared arsenal on the loadout sheet or the equipment checklist, rather. So you can see what you can actually customize about it, prepare it, and then just click import when you're in-game, only using the permitted items, so to say. Yeah. No, all good ideas. Yes, Rushi, there is updates. I think we mentioned it way at the start, but the new framework will yeah. have something of the sort of that. Again, as James said, we're now also sending data from the server to the framework, 
or to the website, which would make this way more possible. So I checked out for 10 seconds. What was the question? The logistics center. Oh, good question. So basically, so as Gold mentioned, private Chris have been doing some work on that. Um, so where we're up to is at the moment, you'll notice in the last two, three weeks, we've done quite a lot of work with loadouts and class names. So now you can actually search any class name on the website and it will return you the relevant item. And then you can see all the, you can see everything about it basically, which has been really handy for us in doing loadouts. Uh, Grez has rewritten one of the scripts that work, makes that work to include vehicles. And so the next logical step essentially is that vehicles get assigned to a campaign at the campaign management level and have a unique um, identifier against them. And then field leaders of that campaign can deploy those vehicles to deployments. And then that video that was posted at the very start of Tafkas where you saw that big crate, that, that will only allow you to spawn vehicles that are assigned to that deployment from the campaign. So essentially Logi wouldn't have access to Zeus and they'd only have access to vehicles that had been assigned and therefore you can then produce a system where you're essentially running the actual logistics side of a campaign and to go back to what someone said before right about logi being boring or some sometimes being boring then you're suddenly in this territory which is there's an actual purpose to logi so there's an actual purpose to moving from a to b because you need to get your supplies and move them from one place to another for them to, to be actually accessible so it turns the website almost into a bit of a tycoon game in a way so you know, we're a long way from that stage but that's certainly if, if there were a couple of things i would want to sort by the time we get to armor 4 then it would be a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight around tiers rcs and the like but that would certainly be that logistics element because i highly suspect that armor 4 will introduce larger maps and would i want as i've talked about yes. ages ago the ability to for someone to have to fly a tank from 100 miles from one position to another one so that it was ready there for a sunday i suspect that would be quite an interesting concept but not even just that it could also do some sort of very simple things as you said with logistics moving things from base a to base b and for example having a live run in the background there could be nothing happening along your route of transport but maybe you want to take a a, a team of protection with you that would could get into some shit in an ambush or like i don't know there's a traffic jam up ahead and just things yeah. like that we did a full tough cast on this before but that's very much how i see it and, and someone mentioned dcs before like you know could you could you integrate dcs in a way where a dcs mission has an effect on the on the armor mission and the way that you would do that is that your logistics is centralized and your objectives so when you go to the campaign center the objectives and known targets are there and so if you were going to integrate something like dcs the person running that goes we're going to set up a mission to take out that objective and then if they are successful then it neutralizes that objective on the campaign center if they're not it creates another problem on the campaign center so you can do this with all sorts of things but what i find particularly interesting about logistics and i've always used this as the example is god help the person you know when you've got a chinook called bertha that's on its 61st deployment oh, on a campaign and somebody dunks it into the ground and everyone's straight onto this or going no bertha she's dead and all this so it's kind of it adds a lot more weight to a loss of a vehicle when it has a history behind it you know like we have dossiers 
vehicles can have histories too. And if if we took a picture of Bertha and a paragraph, you put too. it on a profile, and then suddenly it's ripped Bertha. So you know, all this sort of stuff I think is quite interesting. And you know, no other unit like ours would ever bother doing anything like that. But, <laughs> but part of what makes us unique is that it's the little things sometimes that add purpose to what we're doing that make it interesting and um yeah i i it's been on the roadmap since forever those that have found the urls to know that we actually developed this system in the early days and the reason why we don't use that developed system that has sort of finances and stuff built in is because that was designed based on us only ever deploying as the us faction obviously that's not the case now we play as many factions so as it's written and even more to come yeah and even more to come so as it's written we'll need a way of doing that that's much more um much easier to manage you know but but certainly i see that as an inevitability for armor 4 that will be almost like liberation is not not in a gamified way but in a sort of heavily integrated story way where you've got the intel channels that, that drive the intel there'll be a full logistics chain behind the campaign you know as soon as we've as soon as we're tracking how many mags have been used in a campaign suddenly we can then put a limit on the number of mags that are available in any given base and every time you step out of the base it ducks it off and then suddenly that base is, has run out of stomach for example whatever the the mag is that's being used and then that creates an incentive for the logisticians in you to have to set up a patrol like a convoy mission to bring supplies in whatever it may be so that's all i find all that stuff very interesting i know a lot of people don't care they'll just turn up to shoot but it adds meaning behind what you're shooting or what you're shooting at and i think that's what makes it really interesting yeah or <laughs> we put ace mres back on set it to two and a half hours before you starve and then just see the people drop like flies when uh kevin did him didn't bake them new pizza mres for the operation yeah we always joked in the past about farming simulator producing the mres because those real ogs like squiddo will know that back in the day if you didn't eat and drink in the op you pass out i always find like a summaries, I find them so funny because suddenly your guy just drops over unconscious because he hasn't eaten in the past two and a half hours. Like hell yes, yeah, so you burn a lot of calories. Well, in a combat. fun story about <laughs> a summaries was back in Optorrent where we didn't know what the effect of it was, and the entire squad just started dropping like flies, and uh, there was no way of getting someone that's dehydrated up. Yeah, like you couldn't inject them with like you couldn't rehydrate them. So it was quite amusing. And then you'd wake up and you'd have to very quickly self, like get back in the zone, reach self interact yourself, try and drink out of the canteen and like 75% of the progress bar. And then you'd pass out again, rinse repeat that for about 10 minutes. And that's why we removed it because Ace decided to implement it, but never implement a way of actually getting around it. If you were dehydrated. It would be kind of funny if you could just put saline in someone to rehydrate them, but I don't think they thought of that because it's Ace. And Ace likes to do things. Yeah, I mean, they've just... I think it was Ace that have changed... I'm not sure if it's Ace that have changed it. Something's changed in loadouts, as we mentioned at the top of the Tafcast, which we're not particularly happy about, but... Like weapon overheating. Uh, Cook-offs. Uh, uh. Have, we, have we exhausted the questions list? I feel like we've... I think exhausted is a good word. My alcohol reserves surely are exhausted. 
But I mean, hopefully it's been, I know we've not done it in six months, but hopefully for even those that have been to a Tafcast before, it's just been a good opportunity to talk about some of the things we've been, A, that we've done, because there's quite a lot of it. And if you don't frequent the UTFN changelog channel, there's so much stuff you probably missed in there. Um, but also some of the stuff that we're thinking about and really what you should expect this winter, which really does revolve around the quality of what we're doing and the fact that we're both internally so as the auxiliary as a whole we've done a lot of work this year to make sure that the standards and the SOPs that we are uh, promoting that we're enforcing that we're also following them ourselves and we take that very seriously um, but over the winter what we're going to be looking at is building our systems out so that we're able to manage that process much more effectively both internally and externally um, because it's important that people that are deploying in roles understand what those roles are and able to perform them well and uh, yeah if you want to do any role you should be able to work your way towards it and access it that's important but at the same time we've got to got to hold standards up and um, that's where all these systems start to come in lesson plans rcs these tier updates that we're talking about and uh, these are just open conversations whenever you see these meetings that you see in the deployment scheduler this is what we're talking about all those times and we're trying to think about red teaming our own ideas discuss them with the OCC to make sure that we've thought about everything but it's always useful to do these types of communications and hear what other people have got to what's on your mind and you know it, it doesn't have to be exclusive to a TAFCAST you can always approach your COC is usually the best place to start if you've got a question and they should be able to get an answer to you uh skull it, it has actually yeah. come <laughs> come that far that the timer broke again on the intake oh has it yeah oh what was it 3.5 well, hours of the break is that because we've gone too long or is that because... no 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 it's because they've gone too long on the <laughs> intake nine candidates well in fairness when the comms ftx ended i uh, noticed half the candidates hadn't managed to set their names properly yet so it was off to a good start Ooh. but we shall see no, not I... that one, Jari, on, on the upcoming deployments. Is it broken, is it? Yeah, it's not showing up for me, at least. Oh, I see. I think I think it's so so it's actually coded. If it goes over three and a half hours, um, it just removes the timer because Unitaf was never designed to uh, <laughs> to go over that. Oh. Although, I note, although I note there are talk of a six hour op, so we should probably review Yeah, that's that. two two times three hours. Oh, just... okay, fine. Well, that would be good. Oh, my, my poor forward observer people. <laughs> that was that one FTX that went a little long. Usually for FTXs, people aren't too fussed, are they? Oh, with all of those, they are. That's a lot of mental stress. Oh, but to segue something from Zuka now, six hour up. Yes, coming soon. Coming soon, TM. I just Same. need to get somebody to put it in the schedule for me. Scheduler for me. <laughs> yeah. Same as again, some special deployments might might make that a six hour one. We'll see. Uh, they're really, really, really tiring to do on both GM and field leadership side. So I'd I'd always love an hour of a break in between to fix any PBO issue or mission issues. Uh, go put something in the oven or just make a sandwich and <laughs> be back on it. 
Uh, well, Grez, you see, if the new public server works out the way it's intended, you could actually have an op-like experience for 24 hours at a pop if you want to. We've done six-hour ops twice before, haven't we? They're usually quite popular, weirdly. What, the six-hour ones? Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, they're always they're always an event. We did one... Actually, I think that was more like five hours deep. Brimstone one, airfield assault. And that I mean, one the Brimstone one was time. excellent, obviously. I remember it well. That was the F-16 one, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, two of them. Jari and Nomad flying them. I don't think I've heard James... James ever say something that was excellent in regards to a mission. Just reminiscing. Oh, it's it's just nostalgia for Brimstone that he has. Yeah, I mean, anyone it, that's got more than two years active time in the unit will uh, reminisce about Brimstone. So. Yes. It's just, the, no it's just the standard to be met, you know. <laughs> uh. Although I am looking forward to Polaris. I, I haven't done many of the Polaris ones, but hopefully it goes well. And to think that my first deployment was Dash Dawn. Ah, oh, Dash Dawn was, was, was banging. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Talking. Best bit about Dash Dawn was the... Uh, we did a mission where we got extracted by... Uh, what helicopters were they? Merlins under fire. That was really good. Oh, you still remember, yeah. You bring that up thing every is, single you, time. You could mention any mission, and it's weird, like, even... It, I mean, everyone could do this, but if somebody explains a mission to you, like you'll remember it, and then even four years down the line, you can go back to it and remember specific ones. But the great thing about our website is you can go back and look at all the uploads, so you can almost never forget them. When the uploads were actually written. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, not... 10 out of 10 missions didn't even have an upboard, James. I'd like to mm-hmm. state that here. Some some missions don't have uploads, yeah. I mean, it depends. Like Sometimes it doesn't make sense to have them. I mean, the World War II one that's coming up, um, we were chatting about Giant's Bane, and obviously it's quite cliche to uh, go for a beach landing. You know, as soon as Giant's Bane's mentioned, so we were out talking about it, and I said, "Oh, you know, rather than do that again, why don't we start halfway through? So you've taken the first line, and they're counterattacking you. So the next Giant's Bane, everyone starts yes on the beach, but all the squads are spread out, and the enemy are trying to repuddle the position. So it's like." There are definitely places for deployments without upwards, but they have to sort of fit the theme, you know. And obviously, World War Two is quite chaotic. So as long as you understand why you're there and what you're getting into, that, that's the main thing. But it's kind of intentionally chaotic. Yeah, I think that's also part why like, I like these sort of more historical ops or ops where you don't get a lot of technology because you have so many failing points, There's so many things that could go wrong. If they don't, amazing op. If they do, it's instantly like another story or instantly another objective to latch on to yeah i've sort of found that when i've gm'd over over the years i find like if i spent all afternoon like carefully crafting my mission to perfection it usually gets rated five out of ten but if i if i forget to and then just slap dash it in 10 minutes it seems to go quite well i'm not quite sure why that is but uh quality james quality <laughs> i spent a lot of time and in- I think every brimstone PBO that I ever made. So here's your counterpoint. <laughs> then again, then again, the 10 out of 10 parable me and Matt did. Uh, at the end of that, I was furious. And I, I hated that operation with every every inch of my body because 
nothing worked out the way it should and it got 10 out of 10 so it's probably good it didn't wait it didn't go the way i intended it to could it be that when you craft a mission so carefully that you get set in how you want to have it perform how you want to have think, it done i think that's exactly yeah. it that you so try to force yeah. it to do you're too you're too restrictive on how it's going to play out as that's that's the thing that you should let play out on its own and just react to it um, it relies on some specific thing happening in a very specific way, and if it doesn't happen, it sort of throws everything out. We've already done a mission on Kadal, haven't we? Zuka, we did a tank versus tank op on it. Yeah, Dung made one. It's got uh, crap performance. Crap performance, and the map kept on breaking as the mission yeah. went on. We did a. We used it for. We had like a tank, an orbat that had like twenty tanks on it, and then it was versus enemy tanks i mean how much of the performance issue is the fact that there was tank on tank action i'm not sure but i think just uh, baseline it wasn't particularly performing but something on that front soon yeah right is this wrap-up time i think so i think i think we've covered a fair bit even more than we ever accounted for which is good and we've hit our goal of going longer than the intake so that the candidates yes. might actually be able to listen in well no I they're not promoted yet so they can't probably even no, see this channel okay so that come on usually ah. it takes a day or two yeah i mean i'm down for a 24-hour tab cast let's go that's not you know there's stuff to, to be done zuka you know there is um we've got some loadouts to sort for Polaris. No, 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 no. We did that yesterday. Well, there's two still outstanding, which we a little bit of testing to do. Well, yeah, we tested it yesterday and it worked. The, contention, the contentious automatic rifleman. Ah, yes. The good old 100-round mags, which now work the way we want it to work. Absolutely. I feel sorry for anyone that deployed for the mini-me and now is going to get an MX. But... <laughs> better. It's better. It's way better. Trust me. It's a laser beam. It's amazing. Excellent. Well, when's the next half cast? What's what what's coming up? Well, next just like we're going to be forecasting FTX and we have to forecast the half cast, don't we? And forecasting. Yeah. I suspect we'll probably do one probably it probably won't be every month, but we'll probably try and get back into a schedule of doing them. I think I think if anything, rather than we've t traditionally used Tafcast to communicate stuff, but it, it is also a good opportunity, even if they're slightly shorter, Skull and Zuka to, to just Use it as an mm. opportunity to answer questions. Yeah. yeah, James, let me flip that question on to you. When's the next Citrep so we can talk about it on Tavcast? Um, well, I think if we were going to do a Citrep anytime soon, it would probably be recapping stuff from the change logs specifically. And again, as, like I say, it's just a toss up between the two or three hours that I have spare to do stuff, whether we spend that actually doing stuff or communicating stuff is always the, the battle in my mind, which is why I said earlier in the tapcast about you know if anyone's particularly enjoys writing stuff there's definitely a i think an avenue here for a comms division that take the things and then communicate them and take that burden off but well could it be a thing then to have these bite-sized morsels of info communicated through j2 or announcements that we do you do and oh, then only collate them as a recap thing quarterly with a citrap in, so yeah, you well, haven't got the work transatlantic trans uh, like accent in a quick sound file that you can listen to that's amazing oh that sounds yes. an awful lot like hq announcements 
Well, that's not trying except, to that's just... except please not in 30 minutes, but five. Well, that's just not possible. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, we touched on it earlier with Toughcast. So I think the inevitability really is that the Unicom section is going to be buffed out to include mod mod change logs, top change logs. I mean, they're the big three, really, aren't they? Let's be honest. Um, announcements covers everything else. And because the main thing that Tafcast covered, uh, sorry, that Sireps covered outside of um, website changes was was SOP changes, and the only other thing that we traditionally do there is talk about what we're working on. But like I say, the major changes we will always do a Sitrep on. So, yeah, if we do a SOP change log, it'll be it'll be one that tells you when SOPs change, and then you'll still get a notification like you do now because when a SOP changes, you have to actively acknowledge that you've read it because that's mandatory essentially whereas with the website change logs you know we're not necessarily bothered if everyone's read it or not so i think we'll lean towards change logs a bit more in uh, in every area and then we'll maybe define a role for, for j2 or anyone that's interested in this please let us know in the j2 channel of, of sort of scraping over all those change logs and, and making sure they're communicated and spread around i think will probably be the way we do it we've got to be a little bit more nimble and, and I'm trying to focus this year at least on getting things out quicker, the quality of life stuff and um, things that are going to help things move along faster than I am necessarily spending a lot of time communicating on it. But I do acknowledge that we're guilty of um, under communicating certain things and uh, that that's something that we'll work on. Oh, that's a good bye, Scotty. <laughs> special guests for Tafcast. I think I think that's we were gonna get one on this. We've got a guest in mind, don't we? Yes. We, do. we should maybe put one in as a maybe shorter Tafcast that's not necessarily <laughs> one that we've got a topic for, but one where we literally use it as a ask your questions Tafcast and we could uh, bring that guest on and chat a bit more. So we'll I'll leave that in your capable hands as you, as you're on the billboard and I, and I don't feature on it. Oh we can feature you on it. No worries. I don't know if I really want that, but oh, with your Gaddy sounds. Gaddy doesn't feature on the billboard either. To be fair, oh, yeah. oh she doesn't. Well, she's in my pocket. You just can't see her. Just edit in a little screaming Scotty face over your shoulder, like like mm-hmm. a, like a familiar, like a familiar. I like Hotspur's uh, line of thinking. We're talking about JT communicating stuff. He's referred to it as the Unitaf perception shape. <laughs> Is here's our idea, and you will accept. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like that, Clark. She sounds a lot more calm than she did at the start of the uh, Tafcast. She's given up trying to get attention. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for listening. I'll try and wrap it up because the two hosts aren't doing a very good job of it. Well, if you, uh, because you were complaining this? about because you were complaining about not being on the banner, there's the mandatory picture. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Wait, why am I on that? Because I shopped you in last half <laughs> cast. Oh, he is on it. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's one face. Oh, there's two faces left actually. Ooh, yeah. Oh, am I gonna have to face reveal myself just to be shopped onto this? Let the record show that I have uh, tried to wrap up Tafcast twice, <laughs> and uh, unlike yeah, I, I, usually me guilty of uh, dragging it out. But uh... I mean, Matt, we have a Johnson in the unit, so you know we can get that guy on as a spokesperson. But then it would never end. It will never. Oh God, no! <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay, let's wrap this up. And then we can see if we want to go into aftercast. Traylick. Um if if anyone does have any questions that they 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 think or if anyone's listening again, we tend to leave this chat open. Feel free to use it over the next week or so and, and if we can we'll come in and answer it as a in text. Um but this recording should go up um you know within the next few hours. So if you if you've joined us after the intake or after the FTX, um then just keep an eye on it and you can listen again if you if you're mental. Um and, and like I say this chat chat will be open for about a week or so. Excellent. I think that wraps it up. And Thank you, everybody. Oh, where's our jingle? Where's our guitar riff? We talked about this, Luca. Perfect. That's it. Just got that on recording now. Cut Shit. it, clip it. Next time we start with it. Perfect. Clip it and ship it, boys.